Hello, everybody. Welcome to No Filler with Joe Miller. I'm joined today by a good friend of mine. He follows all things NBA, has his eye out for his favorite team, the Miami Heat. It's my friend, Jaron Hicks. Jaron, welcome. How are you doing, man? Joe, I'm doing great post-Thanksgiving. Um, <laughs> I, I, my diet's consisted mostly of chocolate chip cookies for the past like three days, but I feel like I have the energy I need to talk about basketball. Always important. Um, yeah. <laughs> no, I was just going to tell all of our listeners before we get going, if you're listening to this podcast, you have survived Thanksgiving, you've eaten your turkey, your gravy, your cranberry sauce, your grandma's stuffing, you didn't have a heart attack, you're still with us today. Um, <laughs> hopefully you didn't kill any of your relatives after any heated Thanksgiving conversations. That's always a plus if you can avoid killing your relatives in a Thanksgiving dispute, if you can keep that a little bit on the DL, always a positive thing. But point is, you've made it. That's an accomplishment. I had myself a great Thanksgiving nap, you know, where like you eat great lunch, you eat a bunch of turkey, you take like a nice 30, 45 minute nap. Everyone comes back out, you watch football, you have a great conversation. It's as an NBA fan, Thanksgiving's weird because the NBA has never played in Thanksgiving that I can remember. So it's a little weird from a basketball standpoint, but still a great holiday. You get to eat a lot of food, hang out, just kind of chill. I think it's pretty good. What's your opinion on Thanksgiving? I mean, I mean, this is a this is an NBA thing, but like any day I get to see the Cowboys just get destroyed is a good day for me. <laughs> Personally, it's just always a good time. So I like Thanksgiving, even though I don't watch that much football. Uh, basketball fans kind of just wait and see. It's it's like normally right at the part of the season where everyone's starting to figure out what they're doing. Like, oh, okay, so this is what I have to come to expect going through the regular season. Uh, you know, it, it's a good time. Yeah, usually with the NBA, it's it's this year has really just thrown a wrench in everything because we're not used to the NBA starting December 22nd. Usually it starts sort of that... October 31st, November 6th range is kind of what it's been starting the past few years. So usually by this point, you kind of get like a two-week sample size. You see what teams are doing good, what teams are doing bad. But for some reason, we're still in the preseason mode right now and <laughs> covering the offseason on November 24th, is it? Like, hopefully we can get back to normal at some point. But I think that's kind of what everyone's hoping for across all fields given pandemic. So we'll keep going. So basically with <laughs> Jaron, you're smiling. You have something to say. <laughs> He's waving me off right now. So as of right now, most of the off season is over. We've had the draft. Most free agents have signed. There's still some names that'll go out there in terms of like question marks. Anthony Davis is obviously the biggest free agent who's still out there, but it's pretty obvious he's going to re-sign with the Lakers in some capacity. He's likely, I'd say it's either the two plus one or the one plus one contracts are the ones he's going to approach. He could do a five-year max, but I don't think that gives him a lot of flexibility for the Lakers. So the main question mark with AD is just what contract he's going to approach I think the two plus one makes the most sense if he's interested in 
getting that super max mega max contract three years from now but the one plus one contract would align him with lebron's contract where he has the season this year and then the player option for the season after so i'd say probably he won't do the five-year max is what i'm expecting right now jared which one of those do you think he'll do between the two plus one and the one plus one I mean, I think from our perspective, it looks like, man, he should obviously take the two plus one, right? Like, this is how you're going to make the most amount of money, which, I mean, if you're Anthony Davis, why not? Like, you've got the skills. Go go grab your bag. Uh, I, it would be really interesting, I think, if he did decide to do the, the one plus one and he did go to LeBron route and they're, and they're like, hey, you know, we can – uh, player power we could decide what's going on this year and then end up just signing like the same thing just going back to make more money but I, I feel like the two plus one is likely um, I think it makes the most sense I don't really get the point of signing the max right now uh, so I mean I'm just going to kind of wait even even if he, we don't get what's expected here for the immediate NBA future, it's more like, all right, Anthony Davis is going to be with the Lakers for the time being. We might as well just accept this and not look towards the future. Yeah, and I think another factor here is Anthony Davis, he's already made $121 million career earnings. We don't know how much of that is taxed and what percentage he's actually getting, but I don't see a point of him taking the max right now where if he does the two plus one and then does the super max, he'll make that money up. It's not going to be a huge deal. We're talking like the difference between $35 million a year and $40 million a year. So if like, if he were to do the one plus one, I think that gives him more leverage and what the front office does to make him happy because he, it's sort of like the uh, Cleveland Cavaliers situation when LeBron went back, when he did the one plus one contracts just to keep Dan Gilbert on edge, basically. <laughs> so if I, I could see that him doing the one plus one, but I'd imagine he's gotten paid a decent amount over his career with 121 million, but he could always make even more with the Supermax. Like he hasn't gotten like James Harden money yet, where I think Harden's at a stage in his career right now where money is means little to anything at this point. Darren, what are your thoughts on that situation? I mean, it's obvious, it's obvious right here. It's like th this is, I think this is like there's always a time where NBA owners are like, okay. Let's see if all else fails, if we could just offer them a ton of cash and just see if, and see if they disagree no matter what. You know, when you're James Harden, you're being offered $50 million for a season, and then you reject that money. It, it kind of brings you back to reality, like, okay, not everyone's not just paying for max money. You know, there are things that people want to accomplish in their career in certain ways. They want to do certain things. But, but at the same time, it's like, how how many like James Harden situations are there in the right. NBA, right? Like this dude is going to be making so much money no matter what. He probably wants to go the way that's just going to be best for his legacy. Anthony Davis's legacy is going to be set no matter what. The dude's already got a championship. He isn't worried about that. He's likely going to get another championship next year. Right. Uh, so so a, a lot of this, a lot of this free agency stuff is like, you know what? I'll deal with this when it, when we come to it. But for a guy like James Harden, it's like, well, I got to find a way to win, <laughs> right? I got to win. Right. Because like Anthony Davis, I could see him wanting to get that Supermax eventually because 
he could always make like boatloads more money. The point like with James Harden is he's already made those boatloads of money from Adidas, from vitamin water. Like James Harden has been making bank for a while. He's didn't, I don't think he's under the super max right now, but he's making 40 mil a year. It's just the difference between 40 and 50 to keep him in Houston. Anthony Davis, I think hasn't reached that point of at least relative to some of these other NBA superstars of just massive amounts of wealth that it just literally doesn't mean anything anymore. As long as you're making within the $5 million ballpark, like I could see AD cashing in at some point. I just don't think right now is the time to do that. If he's thinking financially. And also we saw with Kevin Durant, I saw Bill Simmons make this point, I think on Jalen Jacoby, like a few months ago in regards to Giannis, like if Anthony Davis has a catastrophic injury, some team is still going to give him a lot of money just because of that man's skill set. He's 6'11, plays the power forward position, but can play the center in the playoffs, as we've seen. He's a defensive player of the year candidate, an MVP candidate, one of the best off ball bigs in the game. I saw that uh, thinking basketball piece. Uh, <laughs> Jared sent me a bunch of those videos over the weekend. So I was watching one on Anthony Davis, and his skill set is really unique in that. He's a vertical floor spacer in terms of a lob threat. He can hit threes. He's really good in the mid-range. I don't think he'll put up those numbers he put last postseason consistently, but Anthony Davis is a top five, top 10 player in the NBA. Even if something bad happens and screws up his plan, someone is going to throw him a bag of money. Like, I don't, I don't think there's a situation where AD gets an injury and no one gives him a max contract in the future. I think something like that would be imminent with Anthony Davis. That's the good thing about like these guys who are just obviously super talented, even, even if they're not like Anthony Davis level, like generational talent, these guys still find ways to make money. I mean, DeMarcus Cousins just keeps getting injured these last couple of years, but he, he's still in talks. Like there's still rumors right now about boogie going and signing these like small deals like this guy still has the potential to make money just because of how good he was before like we don't even need to see how good he is now yeah cousins who i would say three years ago was consensus the best center in the nba then he tore his achilles when he was with the pelicans about halfway through the season the Warriors get, he takes a minimum deal from the Warriors. There was rumors that other teams were offering him the max, but I think Cousins just wanted that situation where he'd get to rehab with the team that would make the playoffs and then get the run of the championship. And then he attempted to do the same thing with the Lakers last season. It's just Lakers had a roster spot crunch. So they had to waive him just to sign another guy. But, and he's doing the same thing right now where he's going to sign a, I think a one year, $5 million deal with the Houston Rockets. So DeMarcus Cousins is still in the league <laughs> just because of the flashes he showed in Sacramento being an all-star who could score 50, be a great post guy, shoot threes, rebound like crazy, and just be a really good big guy for this modern NBA. So I think Anthony Davis, financially secure, he's going to re-sign with the Lakers. There's not really much to talk about there. I'm going to bet he'll go with the two plus one to get the Supermax. That's my bet right now. But We'll see what he does. He's probably going to do that within the next week or two at this point, probably. I think next podcast, we'll probably talk about that. But other guys still available, Shabazz Napier. I think Shabazz Napier, he's a quality backup point guard. 
He's won the uh, NCAA championship twice at UConn. He's a decent shooter. He shoots, shoots around 34.5%. He's not quite at the level of a six man like Lou Williams or Dennis Schroeder, but he can absolutely give you good minutes at the backup point guard position. We saw this in Portland. He was really decent in that role a few years ago. I think Shabazz Napier could fill a need for some teams. It just kind of depends on who's willing to give him the shot. What do you think about Shabazz? I think I think with people starting this, like especially after Rondo uh, this last season, how pivotal he was in the Lakers postseason success, I think that people are definitely going to be taking an extra long look at these, you know, NBA champion level point guards, right? These guys who have been kind of playing behind, but they can still come in and make roles. They can facilitate an offense. They can hold themselves as a guard. You know, I'm not saying that Napier is Rajon Rondo, but he's a, like, he's a quality backup point guard. He I'd say definitely like slightly above average. Like I'd say probably top fifteen backup point yeah. for sure. Oh like, yeah, he's he's not a he's not a net negative. He's not out there making rookie mistakes. You know, it, it, talent talent and like athleticism and all these like great things. They're they're great for you, but experience is really its own its its own factor, and it really plays in with these guards. Okay. Frankly, the team that I think would be really good for Shabazz Napier would be the Clippers because the Clippers really have the worst backcourt in the Western Conference. If you look at Patrick Beverly and Lou Williams, they're both really good, but I think they're specialists that don't really complement each other like in the worst possible way because when you have Patrick Beverly out there, he's not a great offensive contributor. And his defense is good. He's a good irritant, but he's not like a Drew Holiday, for example. Like he's definitely, he's like that fringe top 10, top 15 best defending guards in the NBA, I'd say. And he, he adds components to your team, but I think the Clippers need that person who can make plays and make just smart passes and doesn't have to carry a huge load because Paul George and Kawhi Leonard are ultimately going to take most of your shots, but just having a point guard who can facilitate the offense, Napier would probably have the same problems that Lou Williams had in the postseason from the standpoint that Shabazz could be attacked like late in games. So you probably don't want him closing playoff games because teams could hunt for switches with him. But at this point with the point guard market being as narrow as it is right now I think the Clippers should probably try to take a shot on a guy like Shabazz Napier if they can I'm I'm so glad you said that actually because that was the exact team that I was thinking like man you know who needs a, a good backup point <laughs> guard right now uh the Clippers and you know I'm a big Kawhi Leonard fan and I I do anything to get this guy some support <laughs> right now I mean I'm love I'm, I'm really happy about the Ibaka pickup but obviously that's not enough to bridge the gap that's being formed from the LA teams um I I mean I definitely I definitely think that once you do get to those like big time okay we're in the playoffs now we don't want this giant defensive hole when we're going against these juggernauts in the west right it's it's going to be hard to work with and you know I figure that I figured like last season I I was hoping that in the postseason guys like Shamit and stuff like they, they would like open up the floor enough to keep the offense moving, even when the, when that backcourt can be sticky, but 
and I don't even know if I'm like upset. I was upset with Shamit, but it's like the offense just could not flow. It just it stuck and it, it couldn't move. It's like people are looking at each other like I don't know where to send the ball to. And and that's kind of the hard part when you have a guy like Shamit in there and next to guys like Kawhi Leonard. And why I'd rather have guys like Napier in here because he knows where the ball's going. He knows when to take the shot, right? He knows when to just walk away. It's weird because the Clippers, I think, have lots of great sort of off-ball players, if that makes sense, but they don't have that guy who can whip the passes around and make plays. Like, Paul George is an amazing off-ball player who can get open for three, who can cut, who can do lots of things. But when Paul George and Kawhi Leonard are sort of the main playmakers for this team, they're not LeBron James, they're not Damian Lillard, they're not Steph Curry. They can't really make all of these passes to guys who are cutting and the open threes. And I think with this Clippers team, we saw ball would get stagnant. They would sort of go off and do their own things with, they addressed the Montrez Harrell thing. The Clippers are a debacle. Uh, <laughs> we'll, we'll get into that in another show. This shows we're mainly going to discuss the Eastern conference off season because I wanted to talk the whole off season with Jaron, but I started writing this Google doc. It's about 13 pages, single space, just talking about the Eastern conference. So we got, we need to split this podcast up into two. I don't want to make some, like, this isn't the Joe Rogan experience. We can't just drop three hour podcasts and (laughs) expect people to listen to from the beginning to the end. So let's finish up this list of available free agents. So here are two guys who I think are pretty similar. I think Glenn Robinson III is a little bit better than Rondé Hollis-Jefferson, at least in terms of team utility. But Rondé Hollis-Jefferson is a okay defensive guy. He rounded out the Toronto Raptors rotation. Didn't get a ton of minutes in the postseason, but quality wing guy who, if you need a roster spot, if you need a guy who can give you minutes, I think Rondé Hollis-Jefferson could be that guy. His three-point percentage is pretty abysmal, but <laughs> I think that's why you'd probably prefer a guy like Glenn Robinson third because he shoots around 39%. He was taking about 3.2 attempts per game. He played a lot of minutes for Golden State last season just because they had all those injuries. So Glenn Robinson third can give you minutes. He's probably best as a bench guy. I wouldn't want to start Glenn Robinson, but... No. <laughs> If he's that seventh or eighth guy, I think he can be a quality wing who makes shots, can his defense isn't great. <laughs> we'll say that, but I think Glenn Robinson the third could fill out a roster and give a team a shooter that needs it. Yeah, I'm really interested in seeing who's gonna pick up the guy who wants to shoot though, right? And like I think Glenn Robinson is probably a better market right now than Hollis Jefferson. Um, mostly because, yeah, that shooting has really, it, it's really changed the way the market of free agents work. It's like, man, okay, can this guy shoot at least? Can he put the ball in the bucket off my bench? And if you can't say yes nowadays, it's getting harder unless you really need that defensive pressure. And it's like Hollis Jefferson isn't like, you know. <laughs> he's not making all defensive teams. No. Like he's a, he can play defense if you need a guy – late in games and you just have no other options like Rondé Hollis Jefferson could fill that role for some teams like I think he's worthy of roster spot consideration but yeah it's getting to the point where even guys who shoot like 33 34 percent from three it's like 
ah, can you give me like 36, 37, 35? Like it, Hollis Jefferson's shooting in the like the 20s and yeah. he doesn't take that many attempts. So no. if you're a wing and you can't shoot, it's just hard to find a mark. Maybe, maybe if a team wants to do like micro ball, <laughs> like the Houston Rockets, oh, he could be like a small ball four or five. But yeah. this is this is brainstorming at this point. Like, I don't know of any teams that are trying to do the micro ball experiment again, as viable as it might be. Like, I hope Rondé gets a spot because I think he can, has a role and can help some teams, but it's a very specific role. So I wouldn't be surprised if he goes unsigned and then maybe a team at the trade deadline who doesn't get what they want will sign Rondé Hollis Jefferson so they can be like, okay, guys, we found the missing link. We found Rondé Hollis Jefferson. This is the missing piece. <laughs> All along, he's been waiting for this opportunity, right? Hollis Jefferson, he, he, he's like, I knew it. I knew my time was coming, right? I'm a player. And that's kind of the hard part, I think, about this free agency in general is, you know, taking a look at the available guys. It's not like any of these people are bad players. It's just that their, their roles are incredibly specific. And just like you're talking about, like, okay, you get, you reach and you get close to the trade deadline, then you pick up a guy. It, other than maybe like Kyle Corver, it feels like a lot of these guys are kind of just going to roll into a contract a while from now. Like someone's like, oh, you know what? Our, our interior presence has as many as good. Well, who's on the market? Dwayne Dedman? Like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, we can pick him up. That's that's just what happens with with these types of guys. And it's it's sad because then people are like, oh, you know, he's not good. He, he's washed. But they got roles to play. They got roles to play. Yeah, like, like you were saying with this free agency class, guys like Joe Harris, Davis Bertans, like these were two of like the top 10 free agents this yeah. class. And both of their roles is essentially play the shooting guard, play the power forward, and hit threes. Space Locked. the floor, hit threes. Like that was basically Joe Harris, I think, attempts like seven or eight threes a game. Bertans attempts similar numbers. These guys are basically just getting these big contracts to space the floor to give space for guys like John Wall, Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving. We'll talk about the Wizards later. That's an interesting debacle. But the last three, you touched on Dwayne Dedman already. I think he, Dwayne Dedman is what you just said. He's going to be a guy that a team signs when it's like, okay, we need someone who can shot block, who can give us some form of interior defense. He was at one point a valid floor spacer about two or three years ago. I don't know what happened. The shot <laughs> disappeared. Yeah. Usually I would be apt to say, okay, I'm going to blame the Sacramento Kings because that's, that's just something you that's can fair. do with the NBA. It's like that's a fair. player goes to the Sacramento Kings and then becomes kind of awful. <laughs> As you do, you know, you spend a little <laughs> bit of time in California and it's over because you didn't play for the Lakers. Yeah. <laughs> But he was bad shooting when he was in Atlanta before he got traded. So I think the main thing Deadman has to offer is that interior defense. We'll see if a team picks him up. I think it'll be one of those 15 games in, okay, Jakob Pertl in San Antonio isn't giving us the interior defense we wanted. We'll uh, add Dwayne Deadman to the rotation and try to get 15, yeah. 20 minutes of <laughs> consistent shot blocking or 
I guess it would be kind of inconsistent, but it would be something at least for no. San Antonio or something like that. But yeah, Dwayne Dedman is probably going to get signed at some point. I'd, I'd be surprised if he gets signed within the next few weeks, maybe, maybe Lakers, because I know they're trying to get another center to fill out rotation. They got Marcus Gasol, but they want to get another backup big. I wouldn't hate that for that team just for the regular season minutes at that point. Dedman's not asking for a lot at that point. So Maybe get Deadman on a minimum to LA. That would be a good situation for him. But oh, I can imagine the celebration now, right? <laughs> Lakers Twitter is going to be like, okay, we got Montrez Harrell, got Mark Gasol, we got Dennis Schroeder, the crown jewel. Wayne Deadman, baby. Wayne Deadman. <laughs> who's, who's third string five is going gonna, is gonna to deal with us now? Oh, yeah, that's going to work. You think anyone's going to match up well with Dwayne Dedman? (laughs) Not on your life. So Reggie Jackson, this one is kind of sad because I still think Reggie Jackson can be a productive backup point guard. Maybe I don't think he can start at this point just because of his age and the injury history, but it's really sad. He's just gotten hurt a lot, but in 2016, his peak, he averaged 18.6 points, six assists, Detroit made the eighth seed behind him and Drummond. And since that, he's had bad injury luck. He's had a little bit of inconsistent play. The stats show he played decently for the Clippers, but he was sort of in that third, fourth role, and he didn't get there until like the end of the season. So he played only like 17 games. So I think Reggie Jackson is in that Dwayne Dedman category as well. Of like a team's like, you know what? We need a quality backup point guard. Let's sign Reggie Jackson. He's out there. The thing is, the thing is about Reggie Jackson, I noticed this when he was playing for the Clippers because I play, I paid a lot of attention to these, this Clippers team. It, I, I like Reggie Jackson. He just needs to back off. He just needs to back off in the offense a little bit because he gets, he, you'll notice he gets these plays and he can pull off this masterful move, right? Like this awesome little reverse layup. Like, oh, great job, Reggie Jackson. And then he goes back two plays in a row and like, just get swallowed by the defense. And I'm like, Reggie Jackson, what are you doing? You're so talented. Take your time. It it reminds me a little bit of Russell Westbrook where it's like, okay, if you just tweak a few things here, great NBA player, like perfect. But he has these moments. I've noticed them too, where it seems to be almost hero ballish where he forces shots in the paint where there's two defenders there seven points at the end of the third like what are you doing (laughs) come on come on reggie get it together reggie (laughs) got like a couple all-stars on the team reggie why are you taking the shots right now can can you do a little facilitating for me come on and especially on that clippers team where it felt very iso ballish reggie jackson did not help that problem at all oh my gosh so many dead possessions so many dead possessions with half the clock remaining like why why Reggie Jackson but I'm not going to talk about the Clippers for 10 minutes <laughs> we'll have a lot to mention about the Clippers moving forward I'm sure I'm sure the Clippers will come up again at some point <laughs> but okay the last two free agents I want to touch on because there is there are other guys like Shaquille Harrison who was a great three-point shooter down the stretch for the Timberwolves but I don't want to go through every single free agent that's still available so they're intense of keeping this podcast below an hour and 30 minutes the last two we're going to talk about Ursan Ilyasova 
Kyle Korver, two former Milwaukee Bucks, great three-point shooters. Kyle Korver is historic in that range, but Kyle Korver is getting very old. Do not look up his birthday. One, it's the day before my birthday, except he's more than double my age at this point. He's going to turn 40 years old this season. So I'm cool if Kyle Korver wants to take like the leadership role of a team, but I think the miles are starting to get up there a little bit. Like he's one of the only people from that 2003 draft class still playing alongside his uh, fellow draft mates, LeBron James and Carmelo Anthony. You might've heard of them before, but Kyle Korver is getting old and his main role is shoot threes his defense can be picked on at this stage in his career and he's really good at shooting threes he shot 42.9 percent for his career 41.8 percent last year so he'll probably get a signing somewhere but this guy's getting old Jaron. this guy's getting so old yeah I'll, I'll be honest in in his series against us miami it it was like it it obviously you can't leave the guy open, but his his options is what he's there on the floor for, right? And when you can predict where he's going on every possession, it's like the space isn't even open there for me. As long as you've got a guy watching from a pass away, and and you're not going to give him the uncontested shot, like they don't want to go to Kyle Corver to make the shot. They they don't want to. They don't want him because he's forty years old, Joe. Because he's forty, like okay, he's a good shooter when he's when he's wide open. But man, Kyle Korver, he just gets chased around screens a lot now, and I think he's he's starting to show wear and tear. And to reference your team, like a guy who's very similar to Kyle Korver in his prime, Duncan Robinson, has that burst where he can at least keep up with guys on defense. Not oh, yeah. he's not great. Like Duncan Robinson is not an amazing defender by any stretch. He's pretty poor, but he can at least make it close. Or with Kyle Korver, he's getting blown by at this point. Like, yeah, it reminds me a little bit of when I was watching some of that Houston, Oklahoma city series. And I was watching Chris Paul, like get those big man switches that he used to just blow by every time. Kyle Korver just doesn't have that burst anymore. Like, it's not like he had much of a burst to begin with, to be fair. It's Kyle Korver. <laughs> <laughs> like Kyle Korver's not been, athleticism has not been his strong suit, we'll say that. But at this point, I think it's starting to show. But I think a team will ultimately sign him, even if it's just to fill that type of like Udonis Haslam role, like just sort of like a mentor to someone maybe. And maybe like a non-playoff team, get him to get like that shooting experience with other guys maybe or something. But I don't think he has much value on a playoff team as much, like maybe some minutes, but you don't want to have that guy on the court down the stretch. Yeah, Ersan Ilyasova is the other guy here where I think he'll probably get a roster spot because he shoots 36.5%. He's not an amazing defender, but he's at least younger than Kyle Korver and can keep up with guys a little bit, but I don't think the Bucks want him back. They, they waived him. <laughs> Usually a good indication that the team doesn't want him back. And he was part of that botched uh, Bogdanovich sign and trade. So I think it's clear Milwaukee doesn't want him. I haven't seen many rumors for him going anywhere. I could see him maybe going to a team like Houston that needs to fill out more wing spots if they want to keep competing, but we'll see. 
those guys are just, I don't know. Like, I don't think you feel great about those signings. It's sort of just like, a, okay, we'll fill out a spot. We got a spot. Uh, Ursan Ilyasova, you'll fit in. Give you a 15 minutes a night, 20 minutes, something like that. Hit threes. I'm going to come in here with a hot take because I actually really like Ursan Ilyasova. And I really like his, his presence for the defense is always annoying because he's always, he's always right where you don't want him to be. And I actually, I'm really glad you pointed out Houston as a place to go. I think he had, I think he'd have a great place in Houston as off a bench role, obviously, but he's, he's so great for your bench. I honestly think a place like Golden State would be really good for Ilya. So his offense is just quick. This guy keeps the ball rolling. He, He isn't wasting time on any of your possessions. He's never giving up defensively, even if he's not a defensive talent. He is putting pressure on. He's not someone that you can ignore. You don't want to help just right off the pass on. I think he's a good player. I think he deserves to be on a decent team. I think he deserves some playing time. I really like Ilyasova. No, I'm like, I'm with you. I think he'll make it to it to one of these good teams. I just don't think like, I don't think you're excited if you're signing Ersan Ilyasova. It's like, okay, you're getting a, a quality minimum guy here be like your seventh eighth man which i think ursan Ilyasova is a good signing at that price like you get him for the vet minimum you get a wing guy who can shoot which is all teams want now <laughs> with the modern nba so ursan Ilyasova, houston that's my prediction all right i mean we'll i want him to go to golden state but i feel like houston's more likely sadly golden state I think the one thing holding up them will just be their cap space situation because we saw even like with the Kelly Oubre trade, they're going to be paying lots of luxury tax in that move. So I don't know if they can afford to sign more guys. Like we'll, we'll see how that situation works yeah. out. But you can't start on Golden State because then we'll talk about it for 30 minutes. <laughs> yeah. So like I was hinting at earlier, I was going to break, we're going to break down the, 15 teams in the Eastern Conference this show. I'll do another show. I'm thinking about getting Joey Miller on from KCOU. So that'll be a fun show. Joe and Joey Miller uh, breaking down the Western Conference. <laughs> a lot of firepower there. Both of the the Joe Joseph Millers coming together. So <laughs> yeah, I mean, glad I'm not there for that one. That's a lot of energy. I'll be on. <laughs> yeah, I don't think anyone could really handle that, Jaren. So we'll We'll see how that one goes. But in terms of the Eastern Conference, there's 15 teams we got to break down. It's a lot of content. So I thought we'd start with the Atlanta Hawks. I have an interview lined up with uh, Brad Rowland, who writes for Peachtree Hoops and does a bunch of other Atlanta Hawks related podcasts. So I don't want to get too deep into this team because I'll get much deeper with Brad. But I think this team did a lot in free agency. They signed Bogdan, the qualifying offer sheet for 72 million, four years. They got Danilo Gallinari. They got Rajon Rondo. They signed Solomon Hill. They got Anyeka Kongwu with their draft pick. They brought in Chris Dunn. They have done a lot of stuff. <laughs> the Atlanta Hawks has really overhauled their roster where guys like Jeff Teague aren't going to be back. Vince Carter obviously retired. They uh, <laughs> they passed on Dwayne Dedman, <laughs> who we mentioned earlier. Um, DeAndre Bembry and Travion Graham are both. Uh, I was delving into some Atlanta Hawks pieces for my research with my Brad interview. No, 
most Atlanta Hawks fans are not fans of DeAndre Bembry and Travion Graham. <laughs> I think every team has those guys where it's just like frustrating rotation players where you watch them play and you're just like, like I know Kendrick Nunn was that guy for you last year where you were just like, oh my gosh, like this guy keeps doing these dumb plays. Like I hate this guy, but Kendrick Nunn is probably better than both of those players combined. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I think the Atlanta Hawks, they add, bunch of shooting with Bogdan with Danilo Gallinari they add defense with Chris Dunn they add like I think that solid vet presence with Solomon Hill I think he'll still get minutes as maybe a small ball five something like that we'll see what they do with Anyeka Kongwu in regards to John Collins because that front court might get a little packed there might be a trade imminent with that but as a whole, I think the Hawks, especially considering it's going to be a 10-team playoff with the play-in tournament, I think the Hawks are in a great position to make at least the ninth or 10th spot here. Absolutely. And, and this is the thing, like, and again, we don't want, I know you don't want to spend too much time on the Hawks here, but I think the Hawks had an incredible offseason. You know, they, they picked up these, like, this backcourt defensive presence with Rondo and Dunn. They added some more consistent shooting. You know, they, they have all these offensive threats now. And if you noticed a lot of last year, you know, the Hawks will have these great games and then they crumble in the fourth quarter. And it's because their game becomes predictable off of, okay, what's Trey Young going to do for us? And now you have all these new new guys who are capable of making these new plays. They have, they have room to make an identity of a core here. They want to say, okay, who are we going to want to keep out of this? Because these are, these are cheap. These are not that expensive deals. Even Bogdanovich, that's four years, 72 million. That's a, that's a pretty okay deal. They're, they're not here forever. They're not here for a bunch of money. Let's feel them out. Let's see how it goes. We'll come back in a couple of years. I think they made a really, really strong offseason push here to figure out what they're trying to do. Yeah, going off that point, like I think they're, they're definitely not a contender, but I think they're going to make themselves a solid playoff team. And then through, within the next two, three, four years, they can look to improve from there. Maybe Kevin Herter develops. Maybe Anyeka Kongwu becomes really good. Maybe John Collins finally finds his rhythm. Would not bank on that one. No. But <laughs> I think they add a lot of decent pieces who are going to help them win now. And maybe that helps them become a better free agent destination. Maybe they can trade and get other guys. Like, I think this sets Atlanta up to be a decent playoff team, probably a first round out, but it's definitely better than where they've been since they let Paul Millsap go back in 2017, where they've just been tanking. They had Dennis Schroeder <laughs> as their main guy for a year or two. Then they drafted Trey Young, and obviously he's going to be their star moving forward. So I think the Hawks are in a decent place. I think they have a plan. Uh, the Chris Dunn signing, I think, is also going a little under the radar because Trey Young is maybe not the worst defender in the NBA, but he's at least he's bottom oh, 10, yeah. bottom 15. He is abysmal defensively. So if you can get a guy like Chris Dunn, who is very switchable and can play that other backcourt slot he really makes life easier for this Hawks team because it'll be easier to game plan where Trey Young is still going to get picked on defensively, I'd imagine. But a guy like Chris Dunn will open things up. So it'll at least be harder for other teams to single out Trey Young, given that there's other decent defenders on the team. 
Yeah, no, definitely. And I could keep going on and on. I could talk about Okongwu here because I think he's a great rookie and I'm really excited to see how that goes. I mean, Rondo, awesome addition. Obviously, he just had this fantastic year in L.A. But uh, I think I think right now we we wait to see what your export has to say. Uh, I'm excited to watch them next season. But it looks like up next we have the Celtics. Tell me more, Joe. Okay, so with the Celtics, I think they, they so they lose Gordon Hayward, who, if you watch the postseason at all with the Celtics, they definitely missed in terms of when they were putting away the Raptors, they were trying to find that fourth guy throughout that whole series. There were a few nights it was Brad Wanamaker. They were trying to get Grant Williams out there to be the small ball five. They were trying all sorts of things. Kemba Walker was getting picked on, like, Gordon Hayward was a really great fourth option on that team. And I think losing him for nothing really hurts because if you're a team like Boston, you're not necessarily a small market. You're one of the 10 biggest in the NBA, but it's still hard to get free agents. And if you lose a guy like Gordon Hayward for nothing, I just think that hurts, especially when there were rumors that Indiana was willing to give up Miles Turner and TJ Warren if they could have swung that deal, I would have said Celtics, great offseason. They got sort of a Gordon Hayward light replacement with TJ Warren, who's a little bit more athletic and younger and fits the timeline better. And then Miles Turner is that versatile big who can space the floor even. So I think that would have made this team really deadly if they could have swung that, but they did not. They lost Gordon Hayward to a four-year mega deal with Charlotte. We'll get to that in a moment, but they lose great fourth option, Gordon Hayward, and they get Tristan Thompson, who I think will give them solid center minutes and give them a rebounder, which they didn't have. I think they addressed that pretty well. Jeff Teague is a nice backup point guard. They're going to run out there and he could even be that guy. You, if Kemba's getting picked on defensively late in games, you could put in Jeff Teague to play solid defense. He's not all defense or anything, but he's a much better defender than Kemba Walker. But as a whole, I think Celtics, it's, I don't want to say they lost the offseason because they're still going to be a top four seed in the Eastern Conference just because of how good Jason Tatum is, Jalen Brown, Kemba Walker, regardless of Gordon Hayward being there, still a fantastic team in the East, but I don't think they moved the needle that much. Do you know what I mean? No, I absolutely know what you mean. And the great thing about Gordon Hayward with the Celtics team was, man, you can, he can always his playmaking seemed to get a lot better in, in Boston, you know, just with this, with this constant, like three level scoring, this guy's always ready to get the ball where it needs to be. And the, the offense is always scrambling around him, but it works all the time. And it's so fun to watch Gordon Hayward work on a team that has a bunch of offensive weapons, unlike Utah. And so to see him go out like this, you know, it's a bit of a shame. I think that the Tristan Thompson pickup is pretty good. I actually really like Tristan Thompson, and I I was honestly interested in him going somewhere like the Clippers. But, you know, he's had really good moments in Cleveland where he he played well, and it's hard to play well for the Cleveland Cavaliers. (laughs) Just in general, it's it's hard to want to play well there. It's hard to be good in Cleveland. <laughs> yeah, no, it doesn't feel good. It doesn't feel good to be in Cleveland. Most people know that. Uh, sorry, Cleveland people. 
Uh, but Jeff Teague, I think it's a fantastic backup and he's, he's really like, you know, he had his moments like looking around these starting roles and stuff, but it's obvious that he feels really comfortable being that back backup point guard. He, he feels comfortable. Teams feel comfortable with him out there. He doesn't have this weird offensive pressure. Like I've got to be the one to win the games. He's like, Oh, okay. You know, I'm hanging out on Jeff Teague and Hey, you know, he does well in the pick and roll. He can he can mess with these bigger guys. Hopefully, as some of Boston's young big guys figure out some, maybe hey, maybe they can play well off the bench in that pick and roll point with Jeff Teague. We'll see. Um, I I think that Boston Boston has a really controversial offseason. Some people are like this is terrible, and some people say this is great. I think that this is a I think this is an okay. I think this is a B minus. This is okay. This could be worse. If the Miles thing is true, yeah, though, I'm not... it's terrible. <laughs> yeah, for me, like, there's – I saw reports of the Indiana GM was like, yeah, we were willing to give up a decent bet. He said on an interview with an Indiana radio network, basically, like, yeah, we were willing to give a decent amount to get Gordon Hayward. We like that kind of player, yada, yada, yada. So I have a feeling the rumors are probably true, but – as a whole, I don't think my analysis is that different from yours. Like, I think as a whole, Celtics are going to finish about where they finished last season. They're going to be a three, maybe a four seed, maybe a two seed, depending on how these other teams improve. But I think if you're not moving the needle that much, it's not that, like, if you're not going anywhere, I think that's a loss, if that makes any sense. Like, I think Daryl Morey has taught this lesson a lot of, if you have a championship window, do everything you can. Try to maximize that. Try to win the title. And Celtics are one of the seven or eight teams who could win the title this year. Maybe that number's higher, but Celtics are in that conversation. We were talking about maybe they would have matched up well against the Lakers last finals. So they were there. I mean, I just don't think they've improved at all. Where if you look at like the Lakers, I think they've improved. <laughs> And that's exactly that's exactly what it is. It's like, okay, when the defending champions here are making these offseason moves that make them look like they have everything available, it, it makes the Celtics look kind of like, hey, what are you guys doing? You have time, you have space, you have this great player. And if you got an Indiana GM over talking on the radio about how you just let them walk, basically, what are you doing right now? Are you are you just gonna go back to find a way to collect draft picks again? Because that's not gonna win. That that's not gonna win. It it can help you win, but come on, we got to do something here and now. And we'll talk about this like when we get to Indiana. But with Indiana, it's fine if they want to run things back because Nate McMullen, decent defensive coach, not great offensively. Oladipo was not well utilized last season. Maybe with Nate Borkin, they can figure something out. We'll get to that. But when you're the Celtics, when you're right there, also keep in mind the Lakers are tied with them for all-time titles. The LA might take that next season. <laughs> they win the championship. And Danny Ainge has been doing this crap for the past three or four years. Like he's been holding draft picks. He's not made moves. He could have tried to trade for Anthony Davis. He had a much bigger war chest than LA did. He could have traded for Jimmy Butler, for Blake Griffin. Blake Griffin probably wouldn't have worked out. But, I mean, there were lots of guys who Danny Ainge has been able to trade for, but he just hasn't. And I think this is another reflection of that, where Danny Ainge, he's keeping on to his assets. He's trying to play the long game. But I've not seen him say, you know what, chips all in, we're going for it, which 
I would like to see them do, even though they're in that conversation, I'd like them to say, okay, we're going to go out, get these guys, improve this team, and really make this team an East favorite and a title favorite. Yeah, and, it, and it's like I, I really hope that this Jason Tatum situation doesn't end up like a Paul Pierce situation, right? Because Jason Tatum obviously is this phenomenal young player that obviously wants to play here. And now you're messing around when he has this early chance to make a deep impact. And he played great all through the playoffs. And, and you're just going to like, what's, what's this going to tell everybody else? Like, what, you just don't want to go? You don't want to win? And you don't want to hang around? Who's going to want to come to Boston? Keep, keep in mind, Boston did make the Eastern Conference Finals last year. They were, they were a good team. They but like seven in, with Toronto. My goodness, who could barely play offense? Celtics, they're definitely, like with Paul Pierce, it was just they could barely make the playoffs, barely make it out of the first round. I think they're in a better situation than that. But I get what you're saying. Ultimately, you're not making finals runs. Eventually, it's going to be 2026 because they just extended Tatum. But like right. when you get to 2025, 2026, it's like, okay, what has Boston really done to maximize my title chances? Should I go join John Morant in Memphis? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that's just wishful thinking on my part there. No one's uh, coming to Memphis. Wish, wish all you want. Wish all you want. <laughs> I just, I don't understand Boston. You know, they see the Nets. Uh, now they're trying to, they're going to try and go win a championship. Okay. The Sixers have just retooled completely and look way more interesting now. Okay. Like these teams in the East, are saying let's do this we're changing until we get it right and boston's like okay i guess we'll get tristan thompson and let gordon hayward walk and speaking let's let's move on to the net so maybe they overpaid joe harris just a touch but they're confident in their core with kyrie irving kevin durant they're gonna have chris lavert spencer dinwiddie as other playmakers they're gonna have torian prince jeff green joe harris on the wing they're confident in this team, and I think they've brought in the personnel. They also got Landry Shamit for a pretty cheap price. So I think this team did a lot. I mean, they don't look like big moves. They re-signed Harris. They kept him. They acquired Landry Shamit. But I think that's all you have to do when you have KD and Kyrie Irving. Like, there's been the whole rumors about, ah, oh, should they get James Harden? I think this team, as of right, it's currently constructed, should be a... 50 win team should be a top three seed if KD Kyrie Irving are healthy trading for James Harden I think messes with that a little bit maybe if you don't have to give up that much like maybe if it's Chris Levert Spencer Dinwiddie and picks you do something like that but that would also be a crazy amount of luxury tax for Brooklyn to be paying so I like what they've done I think they've put themselves in that east contention slash finals contention we'll see how it plays out but They've got a good starting five. They've got some nice rotation pieces with Shamet, with Jeff Green, with Torian Prince. We'll see what this team does, but I think they're going to be scary in the East. Oh, no, definitely. They're, now they're a terror. Again, we always have to look at Brooklyn and say, okay, how's the health? You know, we have guys like Kevin Durant who's coming off pretty significant injury, you know, and Kyrie, it seems like every other year at the very least, this guy is dealing with something serious right when everyone needs him. So there's a little bit of worry there. What I'm not worried about is Joe Harris being overpaid even a nickel. 
we're, we're obviously seeing how these guys who can work around screens and just throw up threes like they're no one's business. If anything, these guys are underpaid. We got I've got Duncan Robinson on my team who's forcing NBA veteran guards to watch his every move or I get and he's making almost nothing. These these guys are worth more and more money because defenses have to give up more and more time on them. Uh, I, I think Joe Harris, I'm so glad that they kept Joe Harris. And I know that's what Nets fans have really been talking about. They're like, man, we just need to keep Joe. I don't care about James Harden. I just need Joe Harris. And that's so good to see them keep Joe Harris. This, the, I think the, um, the coaching was really interesting with Steve Nash. And, you know, I thought of myself like, oh, wow, this is really interesting. But it got actually interesting when Mike D'Antoni signed on. Because this is like, oh, okay, so now they actually do have experienced coaching mixed in with whatever Steve Nash is going to offer. I have no idea. I have no idea what these offensive sets are going to look like. And there's so many options because there's so much shooting, even with this addition of like Shamit and stuff. Oh, my goodness. These guys can shoot lights out. There's plenty of floor space to deal with, though. I'm really curious how this is going to go. Obviously, at least 50 wins, though, is what I'm thinking as well. But Maybe they can surprise us. Maybe they can it's, get wins. I would add Mike D'Antoni is historically a coach who gets the most out of these guys. Like last year when he put Jeff Green at the small ball five in Houston, now he has Jeff Green again <laughs> <laughs> in Brooklyn. Like he gets the most out of these random guys like Jeff Green, Landry Shamit, who I think most Clippers fans were not a fan of him last year. You can attest to that, but I think D'Antoni could maximize him because he is a guy who has shot 40% from three his career. So the Brooklyn Nets are in a spot where they've got the talent now. They just need to make it work. They need to see what Steve Nash, what Mike D'Antoni and Amari Stoudemire concoct for this offense. But we'll see how KD Kyrie are health-wise. But I like this team a lot moving forward. I think this is going to be a top three team in the East probably as long as they all remain healthy yeah no I agree and I don't I don't even really know if there's much for us to stay on there at Brooklyn at this point it's like okay you've got everything you wanted you just need to prove it to us and like when we talk about teams you want to watch on NBA League Pass or you want to watch I think the Nets are going to be a fun team to watch with those D'Antoni Steve Nash cool offense we're going to see Kevin Durant Kyrie Irving prime time I think that's going to be an amazing team to watch. And I'm excited about the Nets moving forward. It's going to be fun basketball to watch. Moving on to some less fun basketball. Um, <laughs> what do you mean? What do you mean? What are you talking so about? If, Come on. Have you seen this you, ball guy? <laughs> so if you know what team is next alphabetical, you know we're talking about the Charlotte Hornets. So in my humble opinion, Charlotte Hornets should not try to win now in any way, shape, or form. They have LaMelo Ball. He's a project. Great prospect. Lots of people had him number one, number two overall. They were able to get him at number three, which I thought was a great value. He is in a spot where I think they should give him the ball, let him see what happens, like let him make rookie mistakes, give him the minutes, just see what happens. They're not going to win a lot of games. They won't be a top 10 team. So why they signed Gordon Hayward to this four-year $120 million deal makes absolutely no sense to me because that screams to me that 
maybe they're still attached to that idea of trading for Russell Westbrook, <laughs> which I think would be a disaster for this Hornets franchise because they'd make the playoffs for a few years, but then they'd flame out and be in the exact same position again. So I just don't understand why the Hornets would try to acquire a guy like Gordon Hayward when they're not going to win now. Like maybe he's a quality wing guy who can make shots for LaMelo Ball, but I really doubt that's why Michael Jordan brought Gordon Hayward in here. Like, I think they have a diluted version of wanting to win now, but they, they shouldn't try that. They should just develop LaMelo Ball, develop your younger pieces and see what that gets you. Just why? This is the infuriating parts about this Charlotte management because they do, they get talented guys. I mean, Kimball Walker is an incredibly talented guard. LaMelo Ball is obviously an incredibly talented guard. Or, I mean, not really a guard, but yeah, I guess I could call him a guard. Either way, either way, they, they make these really strange signings for obviously talented players, Nick Batum, you know, Gordon Hayward. Like, they want to draw in other free agents. But the thing is, they don't have anything developed yet. They don't have any culture to depend on. They don't have this type of play. There's no consistency. They're not getting anywhere like this. They need to lose. They need to lose. Like you said, they need to stop worrying about winning games. They need to not sign, by God, Gordon Hayward for $120 million. Not because Gordon Hayward isn't worth $120 million, but it's not worth it when you're not winning games. Come on. They're not going to be able to do anything. And honestly, even like we'll get to teams like Washington. Like, even though I haven't seen John Wall play basketball in two years, I feel much better about that team than the Charlotte Hornets team. <laughs> and like, I think even in the weak Eastern conference, I don't see how Charlotte makes it like into that 10th slot, even if they try to win because LaMelo ball is a project. He shot very poorly in Australia. His three point percentage was not great. He's a wonderful passer, a wonderful playmaker, Obviously, he has defensive upside because he's 6'7 and plays the point guard position. So I'm still, I'm high on LaMelo Ball, but the Hornets, like you've said, keep doing this thing where they try to win now and they don't try to develop any of their pieces. Miles Bridges, <laughs> Malik Mon. Yeah. These guys were great prospects in the NBA draft. Maybe they've been busts on partly because of themselves as talents, but I'd say a lot of that is also the Charlotte management, like trying to win now when they had Kemba Walker and just trying to get Miles Bridges or Malik Monk to fit alongside that offense or things like that. But as a whole, they should just try to develop a core, see how it works out. Honestly, like what Memphis did with Brandon Clark, with Jaron and John Morant, like they had decent vets on minimum contracts like Solomon Hill, Jay Crowder, but they really just gave the ball to John Morant and tried experimenting things with Jaron of trying to turn him into a volume three point shooter. And I think the winning was just a byproduct of how good they were, but as a whole, like what we saw with what the Grizzlies have just done, it's more about development and Charlotte really needs to view things more from development moving forward, but I doubt it. We can hope <laughs> wish upon a star, but I don't think they will. It's especially sad, too, because like you said about LaMelo Ball not shooting well, like he's not going to start shooting well. The NBA season starts in like a month. 
his his mechanics aren't going to get better when now he's facing even better talent. It takes time to develop these guys. These shooting motions you you work on for years, especially in the offseason, that doesn't exist right now in a regular way. Like, I don't think that LaMelo Ball has been grinding out his shooting mechanics for the last couple months. It's going to take a long time for even your best talented players to get to a point where they could even start to carry something. And you're, you're when you're putting this pressure on your young stars that you just drafted, you make them want to leave. Why is LaMelo Ball didn't even want to go here in the first place? He doesn't want to play in Charlotte. This is what you're doing? You say, yeah, yeah, throw Gordon Hayward in there. Come on. They should have at least signed a guy like Christian Wood or something. Come on. Oh, don't worry. We're going to get into Christian Wood later. I've got a, <laughs> I've got a diatribe written down to talk about Christian Wood with a few teams. But okay. Let's so, yeah, Charlotte, Charlotte, they're a mess. Nothing, no real news to report on there. <laughs> Moving on to the Chicago Bulls, though. I don't necessarily know if they're for sure a playoff team. I could see this not working out. But I like the moves they made where they get a much better coach than Jim Boylan in Billy Donovan. He's a guy who we saw last year with the Thunder. Excellent with player development. Excellent with coaching. Really did a bunch of great schemes for the Thunder last year with those three-guard lineups, with Schroeder, with Shea Gilgis-Alexander, and with Chris Paul. So I think Chicago's in a decent position just by getting Billy Donovan in of himself. Like, I think getting rid of Jim Boylan and getting Billy Donovan they win the off season right there, regardless of anything else they do, because Jim Boylan really messed up the development for a lot of these other guys. Oh, like Lori Markinen had his work. Like this is his third season in the NBA. It was not as good as his second season. Kobe White had a decent rookie year, but very inconsistent minutes. Wendell Carter is a good rotation guy, but again, he didn't improve. And I think he still has flashes of something that could be really special. Zach Levine was really the only one who increased his numbers. So even if you're not trying to win and you're trying to develop, I think Chicago is in a much better spot. We'll get into the Patrick Williams pick maybe a little bit, because I know a lot of people are surprised he went up at four, but if they're focused on development, I don't necessarily hate the pick. If you think that's your guy and you think he can play good minutes at the four or the five, but Chicago, I think has made a, much clearer move direction wise. Like they're going into that development slash maybe fringe playoff team mode. So I think Chicago at least has some direction. So I like that. You, when you talked about Billy Donovan, basically being the success, you're absolutely correct because I hate Jim Boylan and everything he did to this Chicago team. I mean, you saw these clips all online about his players arguing actively with them, like asking him, why are we doing all these drills? We're literally professional basketball players. My goodness, there's constant lineup switching. And, you know, it's, it's really impressive when you manage to frustrate your team that much, especially a really talented team. A lot of these guys are talented. Maybe they're not even, maybe they're not all going to stay and maybe they're not all in like the exact place these guys are assets because they have potential no matter what. Zach Levine is obviously a star. And to me, Zach Levine's a star. Who's been he's a fringe. In- he's a fringe Eastern Conference all-star, even with Jim Boylan last season. Yeah, of course, he's fantastic. And I can't imagine once he actually is in a coherent like offense that he can be even better. Maybe his numbers dip a little bit, but probably not his efficiency at all. Otto Porter, we both know, is incredibly – overpaid 
but but he's he a guy valuable role and and he's a great trade asset when you want these other young talents Wendell Carter people talk this guy up a storm when he got drafted just because of his post presence in the offense it's like if Al Jefferson was actually awesome right this this, this guy has so much upside and yet where was he the entire season where was Wendell Carter where was this post we saw none of it Lori Markinen disappeared he didn't play what happened? These guys all have different positions, play different ways. There's so many, so many little tributaries to follow here to see where can you start to develop your team. Kind of like I was talking about earlier, you need to find you need to find your core and then you build from that. They have all these pieces. Kobe White, I didn't even say anything about him. He was an awesome guard to watch. He was a fantastic guard to watch. I just I just need these guys to take a year, sit down. Realize they lost a little bit of defensive potential. Realize they have kind of a strange pick that they felt really good about when I think that there was more talent available. But, hey, like you said, if that's their guy, that's their guy. I say I need to give this time. I just need to give this time. I like I like that last part where it's very much like father figure giving advice there. Of like, okay, sit down. We're going we're gonna to sort this out. We're going to just – your body's going through some changes, you know. We're going to talk <laughs> – <laughs> we well, might cut that out of the show potentially that's fine listen that's just what they need to do chicago needs to take time they need to see what they have billy donovan needs to tell the ownership we've got talented guys here i need you to give me you know a year or two to figure out most of them see how i can use these people because the other thing that it made no sense with jim boylan was even if these guys were horrible under Jim Boylan, Jim Boylan was so awful at making these guys look like assets. Like no one wanted these guys at like the midseason trade deadline because Jim Boylan made them all look horrible. Laurie yeah. Markinen, like you were saying, disappeared in the rotation when like a year before that, he looked like the most promising young guy on this team. Yeah. That is yeah. inexcusable. <laughs> what the heck happened? It's, they didn't just suddenly turn bad. And his efficient, like I was looking at Laurie Markinen's efficiency, it dropped slightly like a percentage point or two, but I don't think it's like any larger trend. I think it was just Jim Boylan didn't optimize him correctly. So I'm still high on all of these guys. We'll see. Chicago, I think, will be on the cusp of that ninth, tenth race in the East. And I think there a lot of those players will impress people more so than last season where i mean it's hard to be lower (laughs) than last season just because of how disappointing it was so yeah chicago definitely an improvement we'll see if it's good enough to give them a play in tournament spot but i like i like billy donovan i believe trust the process with chicago that's what i'm saying so moving on to a (laughs) trusting the process here moving into a team that we're not trusting the process with (laughs) Cleveland Cavaliers. So Darius Garland and Colin Sexton, maybe both of them could succeed on their own as sort of that scoring point guard. I'm a little skeptical of that, to be honest, but like both of these guys are scoring point guards who average very few assists and they're in the same backcourt. I just, I don't think this team is good long-term from an asset standpoint. I think Drafting Isaac Okoro was a good pick for where they got him, I think, at five. 
So I like that draft pick. I like some of the moves, like trading for JaVale McGee to fill out the center rotation. I guess that's fine. Like you're giving up Jordan Bell, Alfonso McKinney, not not losing much there. Fill out the rotation a little bit. You bring back Matthew Delvadova, but as a whole, this Cavs team is not going anywhere as of right now. They need to keep keep their young guys like Acora, like Sexton, like Garland, see what they can get. But I'm not too high on Colin Sexton or Darius Garland. They need they need to shave this team is what they need to do because it is sad. I do I actually like these guards. Like I, I'm not like a I'm not really big on Darius Garland, but I really like Colin Sexton. And and mostly because the guy is a great offensive player. You know, I don't I, I without a doubt. That, I know that he he's not a playmaker. I get it. I'm not expecting him to be. I don't need him to be a superstar or anything. Colin Sexton is a good player. He he fills he fills his spot very well, but there is absolutely no movement on this team. There's no movement whatsoever. This offense does not move, and it is terrible basketball to even watch. It feels like I'm not watching professional basketball at points. And Kevin Love always just looks sad, always looks sad on the team. And I, I need these guys out. I need something to happen. These guys, well, you, you wrote down that they re-signed Matthew Delvadova. <laughs> come on here. What are we talking about here? Like, come on, Cleveland. You got to do something. We need something to happen here. And JaVel McGee is not something. JaVel McGee. <laughs> no. Of course, a good player, too, by the way. They made a good they, – they got a good draft. It's, it's just like I don't know if they can even utilize them. And we've already gone off before on Andre Drummond and how he's he's one of the oh. best defensive rebounders of all time, without a doubt. Aside from that, though. Nothing else. Nothing else. <laughs> like, Andre Drummond, I think, could be a decent center. It's just he's – I don't think he's really an all-star center. You know, like, he's he's good at what he does. He can give you, like, 15 and 15, which is – it's a skill, but he doesn't space the floor. So he's can not. Hassan Whiteside, right? That's what I'm saying. I, I don't want to – I hate – this guy Andre Drummond not even worth the time we'll see what Cleveland does moving forward I'm just I'm not super excited about this team I don't think this is going to be I don't think they're even going to be racing for the 10th seed I just think they're going to be bad so well what's new Cleveland is not good aside from LeBron James so we're just going to move on from the Cleveland Cavaliers and go on to a another team that made some questionable moves some good moves but I do have to rip them for this one move they did so why did they not re-sign Christian Wood? They dished out the same amount of money to Mason Plumley and Jaleel Okafor. I like the, I like Mason Plumley. You know, he's a quality backup center. He was he gave Portland and Denver some good minutes, but Christian Wood was so good at the end of last season. He shot 38% from downtown, so he could be a stretch five in some sets, like he probably will be in Houston. And his season averages don't jump off the page, but per 36, he was averaging 22 points, 11 rebounds. He's athletic. He's someone who's 6'10", 7'3". He's had to work really hard to make it in the NBA also. He's on team number six in five years. He was kicked off a team in China for not being good enough. This guy went undrafted and has had to work really hard to get where he is. He's clearly put in the time to improve himself as a basketball player. He's even saying he'll be maybe the number two on this Houston team he's going to. So when you dish out the same amount of money to guys like Julia Okafor 
and Mason Plumlee. It's like, okay, you know what you're getting out of those two guys. Why don't you just give the same amount of money to Christian Wood, maybe even a little bit more because you spent it on some other guys too. I don't understand why they didn't just try to re-sign Christian Wood when he has much more upside than Mason Plumlee or Julia Okafor, who I think we've seen the ceilings for both of those guys. This, this is definitely one of the mysteries of this offseason because I, I didn't think that they were going to keep Christian Wood. I thought Christian Wood was going to get this big offer and he was going to go somewhere else. And I'm like, okay, whatever. They want to see if, if he's got this upside that we aren't really sure about yet. Okay. He signed for three years and $27 million. Yeah. Houston paid their mid-level exception for Christian Wood, $27 million. Jaleel Okafor is making 10 over two years. And Mason Plumlee got a ridiculous three year for 25 million. So you could have given him three, 35 million over three years if you wanted him at your center position. But just why do they do that? Like, even if you're looking at this from the standpoint of development, I think Killian Hayes would benefit more from spacing with a guy like Christian Wood than guys like Jaleel Okafor, who is mainly just there for some interior defense, for rebounding, and I guess some athletic plays in the paint like Killian Hayes, whose shot is not amazing yet could benefit from playing with a guy like Christian Wood. So it's just a mystery that the Pistons had all of this cap space. They didn't even seem to want to pursue Christian Wood. Yeah. Which would, I think would have been their easiest thing. Like that's something it I was would, it would be, <laughs> it would be, it absolutely <laughs> would be. And, you know, that would have been really exciting to see because, you know, people want Detroit to be better. We want we want something to happen in Detroit. And Christian Wood did look fun at the end of the season. And I, I really like Luke Kennard, too, personally. And I'm glad he's going to the Clippers because I think that's a good role for him. I think that's an interesting role. But, you know, I, we had these two strange losses that I didn't really see the point of. I think and- – Luke Kennard, I think, makes a little bit of sense because you're not going to you're going to have to pay him the bag at some point and his timeline is a little old and we've seen his ceiling. I get your point. Luke Kennard is going to be a great asset for the Clippers. He's a great player, but you you can say your case on Luke Kennard <laughs> right now. Yeah, I, I don't know. They, they've just uh, they're doing like a they're doing like a worse version, I feel like, of what the Hawks are doing because the Hawks are younger and have more talent. Instead, they're signing Wayne Ellington, the man with the golden arm, for a one-year $2.5 million deal. And you know what? I like Wayne Ellington. Of course he played bad in New York. Everyone plays bad in New York. That's not the problem here. It's just why. Why are they doing this? Is the shooting what they've decided is the problem? Not that they traded everything and only had Blake Griffin, who then got injured? Are they pretending like that's not the issue with their team? Yeah, the thing I wanted to say, though, is – Some of their moves I thought were decent. Like Jeremy Grant probably overpaid, but if you're a young team developing like Killian Hayes, for example, I like the idea of maybe you give Jeremy Grant a big deal to come there. You give Killian Hayes a reliable defensive wing who hits lots of threes. He's become a 38% three-point shooter the last two seasons, super athletic. He did wonders for Denver last year. So I'm cool with Detroit maybe overpaying a little bit if you're not going to be in contention just to give Killian Hayes pieces to work with. Same with DeLon Wright. I think he can be really good like he was in Memphis two years ago. So I don't hate those signings. Uh, I'm not mad that they're making these signings. I'm mad that there are short signings and that there's a good chance that a lot of these guys, even like Jeremy Grant, 
like how how much do you think he's going to stay there after this three year 60 million dollar deal I, I don't know if they're building they're trading away they're getting rid of young talent that they could develop and they're bringing in mid-level like exceptions for for what in five years like this they're just biding time the, the thing with okay so joking with, with jeremy or lucas owens on the show about this but i remember talking about the jeremy grant max contract that was going to be given after oh that we definitely talked about that. <laughs> <laughs> because jeremy grant played amazing defense for the nuggets he was a great four for them he could play the three too just because of how athletic he is he's a great shooter he's pretty good at everything in terms of what you need a role playing three or four to do so i expected jeremy grant to get a decent amount of money from just some team that was like you know what we're going to shore up our small forward or power forward position here with a guy like jeremy grant doesn't surprise me he got paid this but i i think it's good for jeremy grant because he gets to secure a bag here of 60 million dollars for three years i think good for him but yeah i don't like i don't understand like what your main issue is with that signing can you just explain that a little bit more i'm i'm not i think that it's a fine signing it's what what is Detroit trying to do here? Oh, okay, I got you. The Detroit, the Detroit Pistons, I'm not sure what this organization wants to do. The fans don't know what the organization wants to do. They're, they've been getting rid of this young talent, you know, they and they, they have dealt with injuries. I won't I won't I won't say that they haven't had some luck against them. They've been dealing with injuries, Blake Griffin, and like we talked about guys like Reggie Jackson. We had they had they had a Stanley Johnson right, and that was looking interesting, and then it didn't look interesting, and they they have had some weird situations. I'm just not sure what they're really trying to do, other than bide time. And when you're an NBA franchise that's been biding time for a while now, it gets old. It gets old. I want to see something happen. And Jeremy Grant is worth sixty million dollars. Like I'm I'm fine with that. But is it going to bring you anything? Are they going to do anything? Is he going to bring anybody else in? Are they going to actually make the playoffs? Because, yeah, you figure, like, we're, we're forgetting Blake Griffin and Derrick Rose are still on this team. So are they looking at this like a, okay, we're going to race for the eighth seed like we did two years ago, and we're going to make the playoffs? Because, <laughs> I mean, I could see Detroit trying to do that, especially in this – year where 10 teams are going to make it with the play-in tournament so Detroit could absolutely chase for that should they though like I think they should look to package Derrick Rose Blake Griffin because we've seen the ceiling on that they're not going to be a threat in the Eastern Conference as this core is currently constructed given that Blake Griffin is being paid all of the money in the world for the next three seasons I don't think there's a way that they can construct a roster to win here. So I think they should just move on, start over. Like we were just talking about with Chicago. I think there's some direction there. Like they're going to develop a little bit. Maybe if they win, they win. But with Detroit, with Blake Griffin still on the roster, they haven't signaled if they want to move him or not. We don't know what to expect from this team. Just give us a direction. Are we going to be bad? Are we going to be good? Are we going to go for development? Because like when you sign a guy like Josh Jackson, who is, he was in Memphis last season. He played some games, not really in the bubble because I think a family emergency happened or something, but he eventually developed into an okay rotation guy for the Grizzlies. This is a guy you're kind of taking a flyer on. So if you're trying to make the playoffs, Josh Jackson is not a super useful piece. He's sort of the guy where 
if you're developing young talent, bring Josh Jackson in, see if he can be a good piece, develop into something. But yeah, I just wish, like you're saying, this Detroit team had a little bit of direction moving forward. Because as of now, it's like, okay, Jeremy Grant, Mason Plumlee, those are win now moves. But then you get a guy like Josh Jackson and you're bringing in Killian Hayes on a rookie deal. I just... Jalil Okafor for $10 million, Joe. <laughs> no, them not signing Christian Wood is honestly criminal because I think Christian yeah. Wood would be a better win now piece too. So I don't know what logic you would have to sign Jalil Okafor and Mason Plumley over Christian Wood when you have cap space. The Pistons well, had like the third most amount of cap space in the league. Maybe we'll figure it out next year. But if they wanted to win now, they should have just gotten Gordon Hayward. <laughs> should have just won those sweepstakes, right? But I can't, I can't talk anymore about the Detroit Pistons because we don't even know it's, what's happening. Yeah, the Detroit Pistons, that, that's just making everyone angry talking about that, like most Pistons fans, unfortunately. So moving on, the Indiana Pacers didn't really make any changes. They, they're bringing back their top 13 guys from last season. Oladipo should theoretically be healthier. The main change they made was they brought Nate Borkin in to replace Nate McMullen. I think the hope is that he brings some of that Toronto system of being able to make adjustments, have a bunch of defensive plans, and just be able to play chess in the playoffs, basically, like we saw against Boston or like we saw in other series during that 2019 finals run with Nick Nurse, where he was just willing to make adjustments defensively. Like we saw how he successfully built the wall around Giannis, how he was able to contain a lot of those Boston scorers like Jason Tatum, that second round series last year. So I think the Pacers hope is that they can better optimize this roster with Nate Borkin. I don't think that's necessarily unreasonable because Nate McMullen's offense was not great for the Pacers. They have the pieces too. DeMontis Sabonis, first time all-star, TJ Warren showed lots of flashes. Oladipo was hurt, so I don't want to hold last season against him. I think that's more of an outlier. Malcolm Brogdon, best season of his career. Miles Turner, great floor spacing big. That starting five is incredible, as long as Victor Oladipo can get back up to the health he was at. What do you think about this Pacers team basically standing pat, except Nate Borkin? I, okay, so I, I was really interested to see how the playoff series was going to go. Miami and Indiana first round because I mean I was worried I was like well this is where we decide like what's going to happen and you could tell they really felt the hurt not having Sabonis on the floor and yet of all guys Malcolm Brogdon stepped up and you would never know it if you just looked at the numbers and you know Miami swept Indiana these games were all close Miami never just blew them out out of nowhere Malcolm Brogdon was controlling the offense the entire game with T.J. Warren, who went flat cold, of course, against Jimmy Butler, but I think most people could kind of see that coming. And Victor Oladipo was basically reduced to a spot-up shooter during the series, which was terrible to see because we both know that Victor Oladipo is a really talented guy. And then you're missing your other actual all-star in Sabonis, this could have been a much more interesting series. This team could be a lot better. Their, their backup unit, I mean, it's actually pretty good. P.J. McConnell played really well. Aaron Holiday's a talented guard. Like, he's worth it. He's just, he's pretty good, too. Uh, Jeremy Lamb, we already know that Jeremy Lamb is great. He has some awesome plays. And, and so it was really sad for me to see these guys go out. I think 
I think that I'm fine with this offseason going the way it is. I think that they should run it back and see what happens. They lost to the team who went to the finals. I mean, what, what are you going to do? You were injured. What are you supposed yeah. to do? Yeah, because for me, like you said, right off the bat, Sabonis wasn't there. It felt like Oladipo wasn't there because he was not creating whatsoever, like you were saying. And at Oladipo's peak, which was before he got hurt, he's an all-defensive guy. He's an all-star type creator. He can score a lot off the ball, like if Brogdon was creating for him. If this team's healthy and has better management, this reminds me a little bit, not quite exactly, of sort of the Rockets in 2016 when the Dwight Howard thing was unraveling a little bit. So then Houston trades away Dwight Howard. They bring in Mike D'Antoni. They just have a season where they reinvent the offense. They just see what happens and Maybe the title's not the first thing on their mind, but they just try to play good basketball and try to find a system that works. I think that's what this Pacers team needs to do. Just see if Nate Borkin's the guy, see what they can do, because they have lots of great, like Malcolm Brogdon was getting all-star consideration at the time. DeMontis Sabonis obviously made it because the forwards are slightly weaker, but DeMontis Sabonis plays great. If he adds a more consistent three-point shot, he would be sort of like that, uh, Draymond Green versatile player who could back in like 2016 hit threes play good decent defense defense get boards have interior scoring I really like Sabonis moving forward it's clear I think they wanted to get Gordon Hayward in there if they could I think that was the one move they were looking at but even if they just keep this roster they run it back I'm cool if they just want to experiment you know just Throw things against the wall, see what Absolutely. sticks. Absolutely. And I, I think they have the right to. I think they have the right. They were injured. They want to see where this team will go, what really makes the main issues, because they still played well, even injured. They did not back down. They played every I don't, game. I don't know. I, I really think that this Pacers, they just need another chance. They need another chance to come back. They can figure out what they need to fix. And I think they will figure out what they need to fix. They're going in the long journey. They found a lot of talent. They're going to spend more time developing it. I'm excited to see what happens. If this doesn't work out, though, we saw lots of rumors of Victor Oladipo wanted to trade, reportedly even asking other teams while in front of his other teammates for the Pacers. Those are reports, but if those are true, that would be uh, very startling. Same thing with Miles Turner potentially wanting out of there, so if the system doesn't work out, I could see a situation where Indiana's kind of in that fringe seventh, eighth spot, and a lot of the guys might want out ultimately. That would be worst case scenario for this Pacers team. But I think if things work out, the average situation, they probably finish the seventh seed, maybe the sixth seed. They just relax, they make the postseason, and they figure things out a little bit, which I think is all they can do. They have a good starting five and lots of those guys can improve. Like this was Brogdon's first year as sort of the main facilitator for a team. And he did pretty well. Maybe he improves this season. Montes Sabonis obviously is also in that conversation of a guy who could take another leap. Miles Turner. I think we've probably seen his ceiling at this point, but I, I like a lot of those pieces and I think they make the playoffs almost for sure unless something like a catastrophic injury happens. Yeah, unless we see some bonus go back down or a sudden Oladipo exit, which I honestly think that's probably their biggest issue too, Oladipo wanting out. Because, you know, there was all these reports like, okay, Oladipo is not going to be playing in these playoffs. And then all of a sudden he is playing. 
and he's not himself out there. Like it doesn't even really feel like he, he can't play himself out there. He shouldn't be playing at all. And he's out there and it, it just felt like a weird strain and they, and they played better, but not that much better. Not enough to where it was enough to make him go out there and play. So I don't know, maybe he'll one out. Jaron, I know you're excited about the next team we're going to talk about. Oh, it is, of oh. course, the Miami Heat. Whoop. Yep. Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm, I've been really, really feeling something because all over, all over the place, I've been reading reports about growing sentiment in the league that uh, the Miami Heat final run was a fluke, that we just, like, happen to make it there first of all I just want to say there's absolutely no NBA finals run that's a fluke you cannot get to there on a fluke we lost like before the finals we lost like three games in the postseason we played great we we don't have a bunch of room to work around this offseason and we haven't done a bunch of things this offseason I don't think we want to until next season that's my hypothesis here I was going to say, though, the moves that you did make, I think you can make the case maybe you guys got a little bit better signing a guy like Avery Bradley, another shooter, and then you get a guy like Maurice Harkless, who I don't think has the same defense as Jay Crowder, but can definitely hit the three at a similar rate. Maybe not as ideal, but definitely a suitable replacement if you're going to lose Jay Crowder. And then you bring in another guy like Precious Achua, who I saw a lot of games with here in Memphis, who has a high motor and could maybe eventually take over that spot. And then obviously you lock up Bam Adebayo for another five years. So without a player option. So you have that guy set for five years and he's only going to keep getting better because that was his first season as a starting center in the NBA. And we saw that was good enough to win playoff games. (laughs) But yeah, I think you can make the case that that block that (laughs) he had over Jason Tatum could be the play of the playoffs. And we saw lots of games like that where Bam would take over. He would get 65% of his team's rebounds in the fourth quarter. He would make great passes. Bam's just a great versatile guy and he has lots of areas he can improve. He can maybe add a shot. There's lots of places he could take a step up. So there's been lots of conversation, obviously, about the Lakers getting better but I think the Miami Heat the the runner-up champion (laughs) if you were has also made a decent amount of improvements I mean you lose Jay Crowder which obviously hurts but I think you fill that hole in and then guys like Duncan Robinson Tyler Hero Kendrick Nunn maybe they get a little bit better so I think the Heat are in a pretty good spot how do you feel about your team Jerry? So, so the reason, the reason why I come in all wary is because a lot of Heat fans are just saying, we need to just make a move for a star. Now, a lot of us were talking about Oladipo specifically uh, because he seemed to like us and like, okay, maybe we can pull that off. What, and it's, I think it's just a bit of impatience because I, I agree with you that we made great moves this offseason. I love Precious, I think we made a fantastic draft pick, especially losing Crowder. Awesome new defensive pressure that, you know, it's going to be a little bit rough at first, I think, but give give this guy a season and give him an offseason. See, see where this development comes. Get, let him get a little bit of a shot. Uh, Avery Bradley, a lot of our issues deep in the playoffs were, okay, we're having trouble guarding the, uh, the backcourt. And now we have Avery Bradley. And even if he isn't playing a bunch of minutes, 
he's going to tire these guys out. That's what I need. I need the these backcourt stars to feel actual defensive pressure and not like they can go bully Duncan Robinson. <laughs> and so, so we are, we are making these small improvements and that's without even thinking maybe our young guys are going to get better. Maybe Kendrick Nunn will stop making terrible plays. That's not in garbage time. Maybe Tyler hero can play decently against the Lakers. Hey, all of these things can happen. I'm fine. I'm fine sitting here this season, letting it go. The, the, the new things we've signed are even our, like all our deals are team friendly. Basically they're two years. There are options. We're going to have a bunch of cap space next season. Yeah. Cause obviously like there's been lots of rumors of who's in the Giannis sweepstakes, which we're about to talk about the Milwaukee Bucks, but just that situation of maybe Giannis isn't fully happy there. Maybe he, looks at a team like the Nets that has multiple stars and a better rotation than the Bucks, And he's like, eh, I'm not going to win here. We traded away all of our first round picks. I might want to go to Miami. I mean, that's definitely a possibility. That's probably what every Heat fan like yourself <laughs> wants to hear. But I don't think that's necessarily out of the range of outcomes. I think Giannis might prefer a place like Dallas, but Miami is definitely in the running for that still. And they made improvements aside from just wanting cap space next season so I think this was the perfect match of they improve a little bit while keeping the option open for next season they didn't completely sacrifice their cap for that sweepstakes but also they're they're better I think (laughs) with a guy like Mo Harkless who can fill into that spot I think it's like maybe a marginal decrease because of Jake Crowder, but this team went to the finals last year. So this is going to be a decent team to run it back. They're great strategically. So I don't think you could really say their finals round last season was a fluke because they just outclassed like the Milwaukee Bucks. They just figured out how to exploit that offense. Like Nick Nurse did the year before, like, and even against Boston, they figured out ways to make it hard for those perimeter guys to score. You did give up a few big Brad Wanamaker game. So I will be critical of that. Spolster <laughs> wasn't ready. Spolster wasn't ready for that. Yeah. Spo played pretty well for everything else, but those two or three Brad Wanamaker games, he didn't see those coming. <laughs> I thought Spo was a film guy. What happened? Uh, <laughs> you didn't watch that Brad Wanamaker tape. Maybe you'll know next season. I don't know uh, top of my head where Brad Wanamaker left for, but. I don't think Spo is going to make that mistake again. He's going to guard Brad Wanamaker next oh, time. <laughs> I think so. I'm really, I'm really happy about how our season went. I'm really happy about this off season. I really couldn't have asked for much. Honestly, even getting Avery Bradley was such a surprise, like bonus. Like, wow, okay, Bradley still wants to play for a competitor. Like, okay, all right, come out here, let's play ball. Um, I. I, I don't know. I don't know where seeding wise Miami sits because we're already in a strange place being a fifth seed that went to the finals. I don't know if we're going to have a bunch of regular season play every game. Like it's our last game because we didn't play it like that last year. We said, okay, let's figure things out. Play by play game by game, Just feel out all the options. It worked for us. I would, I would even add though, the way this season is looking to be structured, it might advantage teams that are better strategically because you're going to have these situations where teams play multiple times in a row, sort of like baseball. So that might actually favor your team in the regular season this year. So we'll see what happens there. I mean, I'd be happy. (laughs) 
moving on to the team that everyone has been talking about and will continue to keep talking about unless Giannis signs the extension, the Milwaukee Bucks. So first, I just want to say they made two major moves. They traded all of their draft picks for Drew Holiday. And then they had a plan to acquire uh, Bogdan Bogdanovich, who, of course, that sign and trade was uh, investigated by the league. There were some tampering calls. He doesn't end up in Milwaukee. So that deal gets scratched and Bogdan ends up in Atlanta. I think I might be coming in hot here, but I think if that trade goes through, Giannis would be signing the extension right now. Because I think that's a, that's a way to shore up this roster. You add another guy who's going to be here three or four years. Thus, I think that move, that bots trade, might be looked back as the biggest mistake in Bucks franchise history. I know they did trade away Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. <laughs> but they had to. But if they Giannis, had to. <laughs> Kareem wanted out, though. Like Giannis is a guy who I think detailed these moves that he wanted. And one of them didn't happen. I think they traded all those draft picks for Drew Holiday because they were confident Bogdan would be coming. And now I don't know how Milwaukee can improve this roster besides that. So as a whole, they add a guy like Drew Holiday. They replace someone like uh, Wesley Matthews with a Bryn Forbes player who is a 40% three-point shooter. So I don't know how much of a difference that'll make. Wesley Matthews is definitely a... uh, has vet experience and has been in these situations a lot. So Bryn Forbes might be kind of new to that type of pressure. I think Drew Holiday is definitely an upgrade on Eric Bledsoe and George Hill. So I think, I think you make that trade with the Pelicans. Absolutely. If the Bogdan thing goes through, but given that that trade didn't go through the Milwaukee Bucks have to be panicked right now because I don't think Giannis will sign the extension before the season starts. I think he's going to see how it goes because I wouldn't be too confident if I were him just with how Brooklyn has improved, how Philly still has moves to make, how Boston is still right out there. There's still lots of contenders in the East who can improve. Boston has given up so much of their draft capital. They have, they have their 2021 pick, their 22 and their 23 pick, but their 2024 through 2027 are now all owned by New Orleans, essentially. 24 and 26 are both pick swaps. But I don't know how Milwaukee can really improve this roster at this point, besides the Bogdan trade that they had set up. No, that and it, this is definitely something that's going to be remembered no matter what. You know, this, this just fell. And, you know, obviously – Milwaukee isn't going to be as good without Bogdan, but really it's like the message that goes to Giannis here. It's like, they just dropped him. They just dropped him. They had the perfect fit for your offense to run and they just dropped it and it didn't go through. It's like, how can your franchise that's supposed to be focused on winning you a championship when you're here in your prime, how is that supposed to be enough? I know they got Drew Holiday. Everyone knows they got Drew Holiday, but you dropped Bogdanovich. You dropped the guy that was going to seal the deal. Okay, now who knows? After after this upcoming season, if they don't make the finals again or they lose in the finals, because I personally don't have the Milwaukee Bucks winning winning everything. What what do you say to Giannis then? 
what do you say? Well, you know, we just need what? What do you need? You've just got Drew Holiday, who's been toted as the most underrated player in the league for the past four years. You know, he's a fantastic defensive guard. He's a fantastic shooter. He, he, he does everything that your team needs. Now what? What do you want from Giannis? Because, yeah, the thing, the thing with this is ultimately Drew Holiday – I think they improved the team a little bit by adding him for sure, because he's a guy who we saw, especially against that heat series, those closing lineups, they were trying to get George Hill in there. They were trying to add all sorts of people to try to create shots, but it just was not working. So Drew Holiday at worst will space the floor. He'll play defense. And he's a guy who can beat guys off the dribble a little bit, drive in and create. So I don't think he's necessarily good enough to be a, primary creator on a championship team but if he is that other guy who can create we'll see how far that takes the bucks i'm just not confident of one i don't know if they'll make it to the eastern conference finals which is not something you want to be saying about a team with Giannis on it and i don't know if they'll make it to the finals and i would definitely say they won't win the finals like there's so many questions with that team and i think we should just look at history a little bit when you have these super talented NBA stars at Giannis's level, who has, he's the only player since Hakeem Olajuwon and Michael Jordan to win the defensive player of the year and MVP in a season. He's a two-time MVP award winner. Generational talent. Yeah. If these guys are not surrounded, they will walk away at this point. Like Kevin Durant, he loved Oklahoma city, but he didn't think that was a good enough situation. LeBron was was from Cleveland. (laughs) That was his hometown. And then he he left to jump on your ship in Miami. I mean, he, and then LeBron left again in Cleveland, I think for the same reason back in 2018, where he was dragging a team with Kevin Love as his second best player, Jeff Green as his third best player and Kyle Korver and J.R. Smith. Like it was getting to a point where, he has no more talent surrounding him. And if Giannis is in that position where if like Brooklyn beats him in the playoffs, it's like, okay, am I really going to get a teammate as good as Kyrie Irving or a teammate as good as Kevin Durant? Are we going to really make it anywhere? Like if you're a guy like Giannis, you probably should be concerned about your legacy a little bit in terms of how many championships you win, what your playoff runs look like. Because Giannis if he plays his cards right, could finish as a top 20 player all time in terms of championships, MVPs, all-star appearances. Yeah, he just lost us in like five. <laughs> yeah, like in the one game that Milwaukee won was kind of a fluky game because Giannis went out towards, the, I think it was game four they won, right? Yeah, and Chris Middleton just caught flames. And we just, I mean, when you got a guy that big that's shooting the ball that well, you can't really do much else. He just shot lights out for the rest of the game. And Milwaukee, I know for a fact, this team is going to finish one or two in the East, like they've done the past two years. Like they're going to stack up all of those regular season wins. When it comes to the postseason, though, their numbers drop astronomically because teams build walls around the paint for Giannis. We'll see if the Drew Holiday addition will make things better in terms of shot creation. Chris Middleton showed that he could do that a little bit. So maybe if they get Chris Middleton more engaged with that, they have Drew Holiday as sort of the third guy to do that. Maybe Milwaukee can get over the hump, but I'm just not super sure of that yet. We'll see. 
we'll see for sure. But no. it's going to be real interesting next season to watch Giannis's development. And you know, as much as I want him to go to Miami, if if the Bucks if they drop the ball again next season, I think most people are just going to want him out. It's going to be people that see the superstar and they're going to say, well, maybe he should go, which is not something that you're really used to. Because a situation like uh, Kevin Durant in Oklahoma City, for example, I looked very unfavorably at that at the time. Like, I don't have a problem with him wanting to leave Oklahoma City, but it's going to Golden State. He's one game away from making the finals when they were up 3 1 on the Warriors. And then he joined the team that beat him. I looked very very uh, poorly on that because the Thunder were one of the two or three teams that year or I guess four if you count the San Antonio Spurs had a great year that they knocked off but the Thunder were in the running to win that championship and they were so close and then I thought Kevin Durant joined a team that was already stacked if Milwaukee just cannot optimize Giannis I don't think anyone would really blame him if he wanted to get out of there we'll see but Milwaukee Bucks fans have to be sweating bullets this whole season I would not want to be in that situation. <laughs> I remember uh, 2015 uh, being a Grizzlies fan when Mark Gasol was a free agent. And I was so scared down the stretch because there are rumors of him going to San Antonio. Same thing with Mike Conley. So I, I know what that's like, but with a guy like Giannis, that's got to be tough if you're a Bucks fan. Moving yeah. on to a team with less stakes. No hope. <laughs> the New York Knicks. So they have a new front office with Leon Rose in the sort. They've got Tom Thibodeau at the co- coaching spot now. They drafted Obi Toppin. They had a pretty quiet offseason as a whole. I think that's fine. I think the Knicks, they can lose games, sort of like what I want Charlotte to do. <laughs> they can lose a decent amount of games, get a good pick, try to get Cade Cunningham or something of the sort. But the Knicks don't have the tools to win right now. I think that's pretty clear. They, I'm glad they didn't go all in on a guy like Chris Paul or Russell Westbrook because I think that would have really capped the roster. But I think they're in a fine spot, you know? Like, they get Obi Toppin. They see what he's like. <laughs> the Knicks are in a fine spot. <laughs> I mean, they're in a decent spot from the standpoint of, like, they didn't try to sign Joe Kim Noah to a max deal. <laughs> try to like make a contender with Derrick Rose, Porzingis, and Joe Kim Noah. <laughs> yeah, no, I really like their uh, the the guard they picked up from Barcelona with their next thing. That was a, I can't remember his name. Um, I really I actually like I actually like what they did this off season too. It is it's not much because it's basically not, not screwing up. It's yeah. what they did. Yeah, and like That's they just the said to shut up. So so Knicks fans didn't have that much to argue about. And Obi Toppin is like, he's a talented guy. We don't really know where exactly his, his ceiling is. Yeah, you know, it might not be as high as you think, but he looks like he's a talented guy that you're going to get at least some rim running from. Okay, maybe your offense starts to move. This should really be a coaching season for the Knicks. They need to figure out these rotations now and figure out who they need to stick with as a guard. I was going to say, because what I like about Obi Toppin is he's a guy who could play the three or the four, and you have guys like Julius Randle. So I think maybe when it comes to the midseason deadline, you trade Randle to a guy who needs his services. But in the meantime, you give Obi Toppin some minutes, you develop him, and then maybe halfway through the year, you give him a bunch of minutes, see what he can do. It's a pretty low-stakes year for the Knicks. It's not like they 
traded all of their picks for a, <laughs> a star or anything like that, like they did with Carmelo Anthony. It's not like I just like the patience. <laughs> That's another thing with Obi Toppin. It's like people were saying their rotation's pretty big. Randall's not a part of their future, I don't think, at his age. No. Same with Bobby Portis. And then Kevin Knox. We'll see Bobby if he does Portis better. Bobby Portis is gone, I think. Oh, yeah, I think that's right. <laughs> He's just gone now. It's hard. No, it's okay. I don't ever know what's happening with New York either. So, I, I'll try to watch a few Knicks games this year. I'll, I'll do it. I'll do it for the podcast, but it's not going not gonna to enjoy. <laughs> Listen, they need to figure out how to work Frank and RJ together, okay, because they got two really awesome guards there. Mitchell Robinson is obviously a guy you want to keep around. Maybe he's not going to be an all-star center or anything, but he's such a great defender. He is so great to have. And like during some of these, like when people are running small balls, sometimes this guy honestly feels like he has good defense for it. Even being so long, he, he does not let the paint sit wide open for a second. It's great to see. And maybe if Obi can get some defensive pressure, you know, maybe maybe this is actually a good look. Maybe they can develop some of this core, should I say? In it, New York? it sort of reminds me, like, I think maybe best case scenario, they turn into, like, one of those Lakers teams, like, 2017, 2018, where it's like, oh, they're not winning any games, but I like some of these guys, you know? Yes. Like, Lonzo's okay. Josh Hart, he's, he's decent. You know, they got some pieces. I think Absolutely. that's a pretty good spot for New York. Just be patient and try to – be competent <laughs> yeah just take 12 seed and hang out calm down no one no one's listen you can't make your fan base any more upset you've already <laughs> done the worst you can do at this point you just need to cover at this point the expectations are so low that you know what the knicks won the offseason they didn't destroy their cap space and draft slate for five years <laughs> they have some talent. To from announcing to be <laughs> we'll see i don't know if tibbs is the long-term solution but tibbs has won won a lot his minutes are definitely concerning i hope he doesn't give rj barrett 40 minutes a night (laughs) or anything Um, like that but i think tibbs has shown he can win with teams like in chicago and in minnesota so but they see what happens they they do need to (laughs) oh yeah that's right they do they want Cade Cunningham. They want whoever's going to be top in that next draft. Build from there. Then maybe get a star in free agency in three or four years. The Knicks fans already expect that. They Photoshop everybody in the Knicks jerseys. Yeah. Speaking of low expectations. The Orlando. Magic. <laughs> yep. So Jonathan Isaac obviously is not going to be playing because I actually really like Jonathan Isaac in terms of defensive piece. He's shown flashes on offense of getting better. He's out the whole season with his ACL tear. That's really unfortunate for them. Um, What I'm curious about is Markel Fultz and Evan Fournier. They're both free agents at the end of this season. Aaron Gordon only has two years left in his deal. What do the Magic do from here? Because, I mean, last season they barely squeezed in at the eighth seed. I don't really see much – like even if Jonathan Isaac turns into an all-star level player, which I think is definitely suspect given his health and offensive upside being a little limited, but I just don't see where this magic team is going. It's sort of like a Detroit situation or a Charlotte situation, where it's just like pick a direction at this point. Like 
we've seen the the ceiling with a Nikola Vucevic, Aaron Gordon, Markel Fultz team. It's going to be you make the eighth seed and then you win one game in the playoffs. I, I don't see it getting much higher than that at this point. Yeah, I, and I feel bad here because I love to hate the Magic. I just love to hate the Magic. But it is, it's, you know, they just drafted Cole Anthony. And and, and so it's like, oh, that's cool for the Magic. But, like, what are, what's Cole, what's Cole Anthony going to do? Is he going to play next to Markel Fultz now? Like, what? And, and when is Mo Bamba, does he play? Does he get minutes? Is he allowed? Because, um, like, Mo Bamba... To me, when he was drafted, I thought he was a great project for a team to take on because he obviously has insane measurements, definitely shows great flashes on defense. And the idea is if he just develops an offensive game, he can become like a Kristaps Porzingis or this really tall guy who can get blocks and shoot threes. But Orlando doesn't give him minutes because they have Nikola Vucevic. So... Uh I think it would be better if they gave people time to develop. I mean, I don't think that's really a hot take. With Mo Bamba, I think it's unfortunately gotten to a point where it's been two seasons of stagnant development. That's, in my opinion, majorly on the magic versus Mo himself. But at this point, I don't think teams are super enthusiastic about Mo Bamba just because of Orlando's mismanagement of it. So I think they might want to try to trade Fournier would have lots of suitors at the deadline as a guy who could play decent defense and shoot threes at the two or three. I think Fournier would be an asset they could try to flip. Aaron Gordon, maybe see what the market is. I don't know what the market would be for a guy making that much money at his position. Markel Fultz is a weird one. Maybe maybe he's a guy you want to keep around and sign, but I think they just need a direction, just trade away their decent guys and start over because where are they going? Like, they're not in a position to get like Cade Cunningham in the draft. They're not in that lottery spot to be able to go number one. And they're barely good enough to make the playoffs. This isn't like a four or five seed. We're saying like, okay, they've hit their ceiling. They're only going to make a four or five seed. Let's blow it up. Like this is a team that struggles to make it in. It's mainly just because the East is bad. Like, do you think in two years, Atlanta is going to be worse (laughs) than this magic team? Right. They don't even have to try and they're going to be better. And Orlando has this habit of picking up these interesting draft picks and projects, and then they don't develop them at all. They don't give them any minutes and they play Nikola Vucevic because they owe him all this money and the fans want to see anybody score the ball. And these players that are supposed to be, you know, starters that are developing get worse. I mean, yeah, Markel Fultz played well this year. You know, he, he had an interesting season. I think he, I think he found a bit of a role, but then what happened to Aaron Gordon? Why is his efficiency dropping? What, what's going on here? You have these really talented guys that, you know, yeah, it's, they're not like all NBA level or anything, but they have talent. It's and, not enough that Aaron Gordon got robbed of two dunk contests. He also has to get robbed of a good situation. <laughs> Yeah. in the NBA. <laughs> this this guy's getting paid money to sit in Orlando and he can't even go to Disneyland right now. I'm sure he doesn't ever want to again. It's 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 really sad and I feel really bad for guys like Mo Bamba because when you're this young and you in what you're working with is those okay, I have these measurements. I have this time to develop. You run out of it. You run out of it because 
your brain isn't going to absorb everything for so long. Eventually, you're just out there playing your minutes. And, and I really, I really want Orlando to just stop pretending, break it up, let these guys go, figure their thing out. You've got, you've got talent. You just pick a couple people, right? Pick, pick a couple guards. Keep, keep Cole Anthony. Why not? Keep Cole Anthony and Markel Fultz, two guys that can't shoot consistently. Yeah, whatever. Make something weird with it. Have fun with it. I don't even think that Orlando fans really care as long as they do something but they won't do anything. Like, okay, this might be kind of a reach here, but I remember last season the Houston Rockets were in a situation with Russell Westbrook, with James Harden, with Clint Capella, and the offense just was not working because Clint Capella didn't have the normal space because defenders were sagging off Westbrook from three. So then the Rockets just said, you know what? This is not working. We're going to try a new strategy here. We're going to trade away Clint Capella, bring in Robert Covington, and play this super small style that hasn't been tried before and see if it works because we're just kind of middling at this point. We're not going to beat anyone with Clint Capella and Russell Westbrook clogging the lanes. Like with Orlando, they just need to figure out an offense. Like with Indiana, for example, we just said, you know what? Take their time, figure out a system. Maybe two years from now, we're talking about them as a title team or someone to trade for someone. But as of right now, Orlando's in this spot, barely making it. If they make it, they're going to get swept or win one game. We're tired of it. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is agitating because, like, every season it feels like we get back to the same thing. It's like, okay, they've they've got a decent guy, and then everyone else we don't really know about because they can't play correctly. Yeah, and I don't even know, like, with guys like Fultz and Evan Fournier, I don't know if they want to re-sign with the Magic because they know what they're getting into, which is the same roller coaster. Like, if I'm Evan Fournier, I want to go to a team that's won games because I haven't been doing that for five or six years at this point. And I'm let's move on from the Orlando Magic. We could talk for hours. Yeah, about that, it's that just depressing. Things no <laughs> yeah, the show's going over a little bit, but it's fine. We're uh, we're about to wrap up, but let's go to a team that actually did figure some things out. The 76ers where I've spent a lot of time on this show talking about how that team last year did not fit whatsoever. Josh Richardson had lanes clogged for him. Thanks to Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid, not spacing the floor. Tobias Harris was taking all sorts of mid range jumpers that didn't make any sense. And the Al Horford, Joel Embiid combo never really worked. So they were able to flip the Horford contract for Danny Green, add some spacing, and they were able to turn Josh Richardson into Seth Curry, who's led the league in three-point percentage before. So making up for that lack of spacing with Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid, I think this is a good situation because it, it's not a good fit, admittedly. Joel Embiid, Ben Simmons kind of clash style-wise. Both of them heavy paint players slash post players. Can't really shoot. Joel Embiid shoots around 33% from three, so... You still have to guard him, but as a whole, neither of these guys are perimeter players. So I think adding those guys just to space the floor and adding a guy like Doc Rivers, who will definitely coach better than Brett Brown, that's not much of a bar, (laughs) but this team has a much better identity than they did last season, where it was just a bad fit. Yeah. Absolutely, especially when they when they send JJ Redick out, right? And it's like, man, you guys really don't have much spacing here. What, what's going on? And then you get Embiid in these offensive pits where he's trying to clamor out these 
ridiculous leads. You know, you saw him in the playoffs. He played really well in the playoffs. He was averaging like 30 points a game, but there's no, there's no way to win if there's no spacing on this team. And, and Simmons was dealing with injury, if I'm remembering correctly. So it's like, you really see the hole that you can get yourself in if you have no one who can move the ball and no one who can space the ball. My goodness, because Josh Richardson is not the kind of guy you want. It's just your spot-up shooter. And this is coming from a guy who loves Josh Richardson because he was a spot-up shooter in Miami. But he's more talented than that. We need different kinds of guys in the Sixers. And the Sixers, I know, are happy about this. I know Sixers fans are happy about this. They do have, I, even with all this weird Danny Green hate because of the finals, Danny Green is a good pickup. Seth Curry is a fantastic pickup. And actually, I'm sad for Mavericks fans for losing him. Um, I think but, that trade actually works out for the Mavericks. I don't want to no, cut off your train of thought. Because no, with Josh course. Richardson, they get another creator. But I think that this was a win-win trade. Absolutely. It, it's like, okay, everybody is finding some more of what they're trying to do here. The Sixers have finally recognized, okay, if you're going to throw these guys who are kind of like polar opposites, but at the same time, the same type of player, they need someone to shoot. Now they're shooting. Now we have people who can shoot and who will always be shooting. There's never going to be a time where Seth Green and Dan Seth Green, Seth Curry and Danny Green aren't waiting to shoot the ball. There's always time for that. There's always going to be the worry for that. Maybe Embiid will actually have room to work around the post like he's been saying he wanted to do for the past two years. Maybe Simmons can actually stop worrying about shooting on the outside and actually has someone to get the ball to to shoot. This is a good thing for yeah. them. Yeah, and honestly, if you're, if you're not breaking up Simmons-Embiid, this is the best spacing I think you can probably get on a team where Tobias Harris is probably the worst shooter out of the other three, but... Seth Curry and Danny Green both have to defend those guys. Those guys can be money from three. We'll see. I think Tobias Harris, it's about shot selection. Hopefully that'll come with Doc Rivers and Daryl Morey adjusting the system a little bit. But if this works out this season, I think the marriage will last a little bit longer between Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid. We'll see how that keeps going. But I, I think this team will do much better than they did last year where they finished the sixth seed. At the beginning of the year, I thought they had the best starting lineup on paper because I just thought like, okay, all of these guys are like fringe all-stars, but the fit was not good. And even though Josh Richardson, I think is a better player than Seth Curry overall, I think in the end, this team fits better. There's continuity and they still have flexibility moving forward. And they were also able to get off of that Al Horford contract very lightly. They only had to give up one first round pick and they get Danny Green, who's a good piece, expiring deal too. So I think Philly fans have a lot to be excited about. They don't have to deal with some of those Elton Brand signings from <laughs> the offseason before, which Maury just immediately just kind of shredded. Like, ah, you don't like Josh Richardson on this team? Gone. <laughs> you don't like Al Horford on this team? Well, we'll get rid of him too. And I, I like Philly this year. I think they're going to be much more fun to watch and much less frustrating than they were last season. So unfortunately, we have to now move on to a team that got a little bit worse, the Toronto Raptors. So they lost their whole front court. Yeah, basically. it's gone. It's gone. <laughs> Mark Gasol and Serge Ibaka were the twin-headed monster at the center position for this team. There's not a head anymore there. <laughs> the Hydra has you get burned at the stem. <laughs> no, but like legitimately, it's like Aaron Baines, I mean – 
he's good for 25 minutes like he can be a guy I guess but this is such a downgrade from having two quality big guys with Marcus All and Serge Ibaka who both decided to go to LA <laughs> yeah <laughs> they were tired of Toronto weather they wanted that uh <laughs> absolutely and you know a lot of Toronto fans are happy about Van Vliet coming back on this four-year 80 million dollar deal and you know it is fun and like they're going to be a more fun team to watch next year obviously there's going to be a lot more like okay backcourt movement we don't have much going on in the front court here um Aaron Baines will take some threes okay that'll be interesting but honestly I think the signing is terrible I don't think that Fred Van Vliet should be in Toronto. I think Toronto needs to recognize, okay, we don't have what we need right now. And Van Vliet is especially not what they need right now. They have no defensive presence anymore. Um, I don't know how they're going to stop anybody in the paint. I mean, I cannot imagine now the Sixers facing the Raptors in in a playoff battle. Like, what? How in the world are they going to win two games? I, I, I can't see how that's going to work because you have, you, you're facing teams like the Sixers who have this defensive pressure both ways. And with the Bucks, it's the same thing. The Nets, they're not going to score more than the Nets. Like, sorry, Raptors, your time ran out. You, you won your chip. It's over. Yeah, I mean, with Toronto, I think I could still see them being – I think they'll be probably five, six range is my prediction. Cause I think this will shift a lot of the workload to guys like OG Anawabi who have shown lots of flashes and been very good, but maybe they take on some of the load. And in regards to the Fred Van Fleet contract, I think Toronto is the best spot for him because I think Van Fleet works the best as a member of an ensemble cast of some extent where he's not really targeted or looked out to, but as a third, fourth option on a team with Siakam, with Kyle Lowry, with OG Anuabi, and with these other guys, I like the idea that Van Fleet, he can come off the bench, he could start potentially in that two spot, and he's not going to be looked at as like the consistent guy to score for a team. Like there are rumors that a team like the Knicks was looking at him. I would not have liked to see that because I think well, Van Fleet would have gotten <laughs> stuffed all the time, I would like he would have been targeted. <laughs> so I think. I think it's a good signing from the perspective that Van Fleet will do best in Toronto and he's staying there in regards to what this team is doing. They're going to need a leap from Siakam or from Ojiana Wabi, but I think they're still a decent playoff team. What will Kyle Lowry do the following off season? Does he want to stay in Toronto so he can be there when the statue is built of him or <laughs> <laughs> there's lots of questions about what they want to do, but They've won the title, so I don't think it's super so – I don't think there's a lot of pressure for Toronto. I think most fans are just happy they brought the title to Canada, you know? There's, but there's got to be some disappointment here to me, at least to me, because I really like the Raptors. And, like, watching Siakam play was really upsetting in the playoffs. He struggled so much offensively. It was frustrating to watch at points because this is playoff basketball. And Kyle Lowry, he's playing his little heart out up there. And Pascal Siakam can't get down his lane. And, and now, now that, like, we're losing more and more front court presence, I know, I know, you know, you've got to do your best here. You want to sign guys. You want to keep things going on your offense. Dwayne Dedman. <laughs> no, no, really. Like, that's what's looking like. This is who they're going to get. And I don't know if there's not really a big – 
people don't want to trade their defensive bigs right now. This is a time where you need them. Like, okay, they're at the places they want to be. I don't like. I don't why really didn't know they? Why didn't they target like a Mason Plumley? <laughs> yeah, yeah, or like a Christian Wood <laughs> or something. You know, any of these things just make sense. But you know. I guess you get Van Vliet for four years so you can trade him on his last year to a contender or something. I don't know. It's just sad because I know this is a decline just starting. Because, yeah, with Toronto, though, like, they just signed Siakam to that extension pretty recently. So he's going to be there a while. I know he obviously disappointed. He's one of those fringe all-star players who he still has flaws in his game. He has the same spin move he uses every single time to get into the paint. That worked a lot in 2019 when Kawhi Leonard was the main option and when you had all these other targets like Marc Gasol, like Serge Ibaka, like Van Fleet, like Lowry. And now that Ibaka and Gasol are gone, the center position is going to be awful for this team moving forward. I think a lot of these guys might decline a little bit. I'm curious to see what happens with OG Anawabi. He's the one I'm the most interested to see because this will be the most touches he's gotten so far. And he's shown lots of great defensive flashes. He hit that game winner against the Celtics with 0.5 oh, remaining. Yeah. Uh, that was and a great he's shot. From Missouri, you know that? I think he's from the Springfield area, which is ah, cool. That's crazy. Uh, I, I, I love that guy. Good. A hope for him, you know. <laughs> I want to see great things. But yeah, like Toronto, I think will probably still be a playoff team, even with the decimated front court. I think they'll be sixth, closer to sixth than they were to they finished three or second last year. So they'll be they'll be in the mix, but I definitely agree. I think the window has shut. Like I remember approaching the playoffs in the bubble. There were lots of reports like execs are concerned about the Raptors. They've got so many defensive schemes. And now I think all of that's null without the center position. So yeah, we're going to talk about the last team here and I'll finally let Jaron go after this uh, two hour <laughs> Zoom session. Yeah, we got things to talk about. We have things to talk about. It's okay. run a little bit long. I apologize for that, Jaron. But um, we're good. the Washington Wizards are another interesting situation because the front office has signaled that they want to see what they have with John Wall and Bradley Beal. To me, what that means is no one wants John Wall's contract. <laughs> I, I don't think they want to when they haven't seen him play first is the thing. Like John Wall, I think he has a ton of opportunity to actually get traction, but it all depends on how the beginning of this season goes. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I think – John Wall and Bradley Beal could be trade targets by the midseason deadline if this team's just abysmal. Like if they're losing games, if they can't do anything, I could totally see Washington trying to flip Beal at the deadline. I don't know if you'd be able to flip Wall just because of that contract, but who knows? Maybe a team like Detroit, they want to confuse the direction a little bit more, do a Blake Griffin, <laughs> John Wall swap. See if we're contracts in the NBA. <laughs> Orlando goes, you know what? John Wall, that's what this team needs. But no, I think Washington's in a situation. They could chase the ninth or 10th seed for the play-in tournament, but I like them bringing back Davis Bertons, but they paid that man a lot of money just to shoot threes. Like if the ceiling of this team's not that great and you're spending 13, 14, 15 million dollars a year on Davis Bertons. That's a little concerning. I liked them getting Denny Avdia at nine. 
I wasn't a huge fan of him as a prospect, but him falling to nine was a very good value for them. So made sense. I like Denny on that team. They still have Ish Smith, who's one of my personal favorite backup point oh, guards in the NBA. They have Ish Smith. That's awesome. And they drafted a Cassius Winston, who I really like as sort of like a, a flyer. You try to develop him in the G League a little bit, see what he can turn into. He's a little undersized, but did some pretty good stuff at Michigan State. So and we'll see what happens there. They still have Hachimura, who was a great defensive like prospect, I think, honestly, with Washington, you know. The defense around him is pretty terrible, but I actually really like Hachimura like, as an interesting defender. Um, I think that he has a bunch of room for growth. I think the Washington situation is kind of hard for that growth, or it's even hard to see sometimes when he does make great plays and he's trying to do things. But, you know, I think he's got room. If, if this guy gets some consistency, say John Wall is back and he's okay, Bradley Beal's back and he's okay, there's not going to be so much pressure on him. People aren't going to be looking at Hachimura. He's going to be able to play a little bit. He's going to be able to feel himself out a little bit. I think he's a guy to watch. The question here, I think, is pretty simple. Is John Wall what he was prior to the last two injuries? Because John Wall, as a point guard, relies a lot on that athleticism. If you watch his tape, he's a guy who would drive into the lane and get dunks. His verticality and his speed are his two biggest factors. He's also a good playmaker and a good scorer, but I'm just saying what set him apart from other point guards in the NBA was the fact that he could run down the court faster than anyone else, and he could drive in and dunk on people. And he's just coming off of an Achilles and an ACL tear, I'm pretty sure. So that's not looking good. I think he'll still be decent, but if he can return to 20 and 8, which was what he was averaging prior to, I think Washington's a lock to hit the 8th seed or the ninth seed. But if he's a shell of himself, that's going to be obviously unfortunate, but not good for the Wizards because then they're paying this guy a lot of money. Oh, yeah. And it's so hard to know because he's been gone for so long. We honestly, it's like, you know, yeah, a lot of that athleticism could be gone, but can he shoot now? Like, right. Can, can he, no, has he developed something in this time or has he just been kind of sitting around or I don't, I don't really know what's happening with John Wall. It could be anything. He could come out great or he could come out absolutely terrible. Kind of like, a, it reminds me a little bit of when Paul George had that awful injury at the Olympics. Oh, People forget yeah. he did not have a shot really in Indiana. Yeah. He was mainly a dunker. He had lots of highlight plays. And then once he came back from the injury, he was magically a really good three-point shooter. Like he just yeah. worked on his shot. He went to the lab. So that's definitely a possibility. I mean, John Wall has... I believe shot around 34% from three. So he's an okay guy, but if he could be shooting in that 36, 37 range, I know that's only like two or 3% difference, but if he could become a truly elite shooter, that would make up for his lack of athleticism. I totally think so. I think we'll just have to wait and see there. Wrapping this up a little bit, Jaron, thank you so much for coming on and sticking with me for this uh, long Eastern conference off season slash preview of 2021 season joe i'm so happy to i love to look at all the flaws in the eastern (laughs) conference it's really one of my favorite things about professional basketball so i'm I'm really happy to go over how terrible the orlando magic are any time in my life folks if you made it through this two hour long podcast at this point talking about the eastern conference uh 
thank you uh, for supporting the show. You can follow me on Twitter at J-Z-R-O-E underscore Miller. And thank you so much for listening to No Filler with Joe Miller.